0: earth 2018 the alliance between governments and tech giants has led to the rise of the surveillance society distraction
1: technology the attention wars
0: and the erosion of your mind
1: but one show stands against this insidious system hosted by the podcast champion the man of tomorrow the golden stallion of the tech world Brian Sovereign. He and his
0: co-hosts form the Intellectual Resistance. It's time for Sovereign Tech.
1: Clutch those pearls, baby, because it is the man of tomorrow, Savzu, the Rated R Radio Star, the Golden Stallion of the tech world. Here for you, Brian Sovereign, ready to do whew, some Sovereign Tech this week. And wow, uh, <laughs> have there been some cluster fucks this week? Of course, last week one of the biggest cluster fucks of all time. And you know, I, I just just for a second, you know, I asked a, I asked somebody, I said, hey. Could I take could, you know I, I I just for a second want to view the world through your Facebook account? And first off, they said, oh shit, I still have one. I'm like, oh well fuck <laughs> but that, like I want to see like did anybody really listen? Did they really grasp what the fuck just happened last week with all, with potentially a hundred million accounts exploited against? Facebook accounts we talked about it at the beginning of last week I was just able to squeeze it in in last week's episode okay and I looked and I'm like did like did everybody was there a nice mass deletion or something and I'm looking and I'm like no no wait that this person I know this person away was they're still using it with. The well okay <laughs> you know I don't know what it'll take I, I mean the only thing I could figure the only way that people will finally get off of fucking Facebook right The only thing I could figure is that unless somehow they figured out a way to deliver like digital cyanide and if they're actually killing people like Facebook was purposely killing people, maybe then people would finally get off of this fucking thing. Maybe. But then, you know what? I think a lot of people would just be like, well, you know, digital cyanide. That's a thing today. I mean, you know, that's just that's that's technological progression. What the hell? You know, I mean that's that's all right. You know, we'll just keep using Facebook. Actually, don't worry; they don't put the techno they, they they don't put the digital cyanide. They don't transmit it through Facebook groups, so we're safe. We're safe. Oh, one day, one day. You know, I bring this up a lot. We we got a ton to get into this week, and, and I've got there's a lot of interesting stories. And believe me, Facebook is is not by no means is it the least of worries, but. It is one of many. Okay, but we have plenty to talk about this week. But I just, you know, I bring up this example all the time. And I get it. It's anecdotal because, you know, there was a time where everything we did wasn't recorded and tracked. Um, It was starting to. But there was a time where it wasn't. So all you can really do is take the Golden Stallion's word for it. All you can do is take my word for it. That when I was a little stallion, when I was a little guy... You know, and my mommy and my daddy would say, little Brian, would you like to go to Radio Shack? And I would clap my hands. Please, daddy, take me. Take me to Radio Shack because I love Radio Shack where I can actually build things and I don't buy them already together. Those days are gone. And we'd go in my dad being a brilliant man. And really, he is. I mean, just like, you know, we're talking about a guy that that literally worked on NASA space programs here. Okay, And despite what what some libertarian asshats would tell you, no, sorry, space shuttles... Probes, Voyager, the ISS, all that, those are brilliant human innovations. Fuck you if you say differently. That I mean, look, I get it. NASA's a government fucking organization and that sucks. Okay? But let's let's not just because something, you know, is funded by the government, let's not just break out the hammer on it and say, Oh well, the the space shuttle's a shitty design. It's this oh the market could do better. I don't care if the market could do better. That doesn't mean that it's not still a brilliant fucking thing. Fuck you. Anyway, my dad at Radio Shack would be buying a component, you know, because he could build things. You know, back, back when back when you actually used to put shit together yourself and you used to repair stuff on your own. And tech companies used to let you repair shit on your own, Apple. We'll talk about that in a second. I remember those days, and I remember when my dad would buy that component, they would, the, the, the cashier at Radio Shack, and believe it or not, back then... You know, I, I mean, I, I know I, I've, I went to Radio Shack until it eventually got bought out and all that. I would still go there for certain things because there were still certain things that you could just only get, you know, at Radio Shack. At the time, even Amazon might not really have had what you were looking for. or You couldn't be sure that the voltage and what they were actually going to ship you would end up being the right thing. And that still happens a lot. Like, you know, you order light bulbs and fuck, they send you the wrong ones. So anyway, I would go there. You know, to 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 Radio Shack, and uh, you know, it, like in recent years. In fact, I was friends with some people that would end up going to Radio Shack. These are people that had no business working at Radio Shack. They had no fucking clue what they were talking about. They weren't even remotely tech electricians. I mean, let alone professional. They they weren't even remotely like they had no concept. You know, I I, I doubt they even understand. You know, what happens when you flip a switch. Anyway, back in the day. You know, we're talking the 80s, maybe early 90s, about the end of it. You know, you used to have to know your shit to work at Radio Shack. Why? Because a customer would walk in and they would ask you for a certain component, a certain part or whatever. And you'd have to know what the fuck that is. Because you'd have to show them where it is and you'd have to give it to him. You'd have to have some knowledge. Imagine that. Having to be someone with intelligence to work behind a register. It used to be a thing. It used to be. And we would go there anyway. Then the person, you know, you'd buy the component and the person actually generally they'd know my dad. He was rather well known around town because, you know, brilliant guy and he was often buying all this shit uh, and doing all kinds of wacky things. Right. Anyway, they'd ask him, can I get your name, sir? You know, I mean, this is just, you know, the, the formality of it all. Can I get your address? Can I get your phone number? And I remember my dad. And not only my dad; other people. When I'd be, you know, hanging out, say, at the mall where there was a Radio Shack, and I'd be hanging out in Radio Shack forever, while my uh, rest of my family was doing other things and looking at other horseshit and Claire's or something like that. I'd, that's not horseshit. I liked. I used to like Claire's. And the, you know, when they'd ask that question, "Could I get your name, your address, and your phone number?" The look of horror upon the customer's face, saying, "Wait a minute." the fuck do you want that information for who the hell are you to ask me for that I'm just here to buy a fucking capacitor I'm here to get this little transistor I'm going to build a transistor radio you leave me the fuck alone I don't if I wanted you to know my name you know I'd wear it on my shirt I don't know what happened to those days especially I mean and and that's even more appretendant because we're talking about people that are obviously into tech what what the where, where did that go Where did that attitude go that I mean, and you got to understand that at this time and they started doing this, you know, as soon as like computers were more or less the registers of the day and getting introduced, which I guess maybe would have been the late 70s around there. But really more, it would have been, uh, you know, well into the 80s. But at the time and, and look, you can look this up. You know, I've had a lot of people ask me on Patreon, you want to talk about, they've asked me to talk about my favorite conspiracy theories and so on, right? Maybe someday I'll talk about this one, but I'm going to give you a little preview right here. Of course, you want to become a patron, patreon.com slash Sovereign Tech. Woo! S-O-V-R-Y-N, like my last name, goddammit. But at the, on Patreon, you know, they asked me my favorite conspiracies. There was a conspiracy at the time with Radio Shack that they were literally tracking what you bought to see if you would be eligible to work on a moon base being done by the, being uh, uh, built by the U.S. government. I'm not kidding. You look it up. Like that, that, that is a longstanding conspiracy theory out there that that's what they were doing with that information. Now that's relatively benign. I mean, Hey, I'm ready to go work at a fucking moon base, please. You know, some people already think I live on one, Woo. but regardless of what the reasons were, the right answer was what the fuck do you need that information for? If I want one of your catalogs, I'll grab one on my way out, you know, and I'll make sure the door doesn't hit my ass. What the fuck happened? I don't know. I've brought that example up many times because, again, I think it's the perfect one to, I mean, oh, it's anecdotal. Oh, we we don't do anecdotes. Okay, yeah, you tell me how you got your facts in the first place, slap nuts. (sighs) But it's there. I saw it. And I can and, and I think a lot of other people know, like, I mean, there's a reason that that conspiracy came up in the first place, because you had people that were that concerned about just handing over their fucking name. Of course, granted, people used to pay for things with cash back then. <laughs> what an what a amazing invention. You know, imagine that having money without that much of an identifier. I mean, I know it still has identifying qualities to it, but you get my point. <sighs> anyway. Yeah, I fucking get it. You're still trying to get laid by your neighbor or that person, you know, that that has like, you know, a tenth of your ideology that lives in I don't know East Bumfuck Ice Planet 0. I don't I don't know. And and so you're still hopeful and so you got to stay on Facebook because shit, you're you're not, you know, maybe you won't get laid if you don't. Oh. I mean, you wouldn't want to like actually fuck your wife, right? You know that's that's right next to you. Uh, That you're looking at your phone and there's this beautiful woman next to you and you're just like, well, yeah, yeah, but there's this person over here. Give me a break. Anyway. Well, okay. I mean, let's be clear here. Yes, I still have a Facebook account. There are various reasons for that, including clients, including clients that I had to clean up the fucking mess that they were freaking out about over this fucking you know this this potential exploit or i mean it's an exploit it's real just it's potentially whether or not any of that was actually used against you if anyone collected any data that's the potential and i had to fucking deal with that okay but otherwise you better fucking believe i don't use that goddamn account not for shit so hey windows 10 had a new update this week <laughs> oh wait no yeah. No, no. Oh, I mean it did, but then Microsoft said, oh, "Oh, stop the press! Stop the presses! Cut off those data lines! Someone, someone, get the pliers and go after the RJ forty-five. Hell, get the get the chain link cutters. We stop." <laughs> I- so on Tuesday, and we'll get into more, we're going to talk more about this during our story of the week, um, because really, I mean, the only tech company that's actually doing anything like half remote, the only tech giant, I should say, that's doing anything halfway remotely interesting and that might actually help people uh, is Apple. No, I'm kidding. It's not Apple at all, like not even remotely close, like that, that's so far off from the fucking actual answer, uh, you know, your head should be spinning. But whatever, you love Apple. So uh, it's, it's actually Microsoft. I mean, fuck Microsoft, but there it is. Uh, <laughs> but, so we'll be talking about what what they did on their event. We'll give a little review here, uh, if if any of that even matters. But regardless, so they they on Tuesday they had their big 10 2 event, whatever the fuck that was, and they at the same time they're announcing all this wild new hardware that they had. It wasn't that wild, but all that all that new hardware that they were putting out there, they said you know almost Apple esque. They're like, and folks today. We've got a new version of Windows 10 coming out to you. You know, the Windows 10 October 2018 update. I mean, that's a sexy name if I've ever heard one. Um, Of course, we'll generally call it on this show Windows 10 1809. That's the technical name for it. Um, I mean, it's, it's also an official name, but it's not the official official name. And uh, this came out on ten two. I actually my my old Dell that I do a ton of work on is kind of the main machine uh, for the BDSM studio, which I'm recording from right now. Woo. Uh, that is, of course, that's Brian's Dungeon of Sex and Magic. Don't get any ideas. I know you're getting turned on, but take it easy. But that, you know, that machine, I update that day, like the update rolled out, and I have had no problems with it. Now, oddly enough, so that was a Tuesday, right? So on Patreon that I aforementioned, patreon.com slash Sovereign Tech, why the hell aren't you a patron? I don't know. You're missing out on thousands and thousands of hours of exclusive content and new content that comes out almost every day. Hey, you know, can you get that deal anywhere else for at least a buck a month? I don't know. Uh, So... Anyway, on Wednesday, on the Wednesday Patreon Q&A, I said, I was like, yeah, go ahead and update, because I don't know, I haven't seen any real flubs, I haven't seen any real problems or anything, and that really, Microsoft has been having so many issues with every time that they've come out with, with these major updates, okay, for, again, they do two-year uh, for Windows 10, that uh, they really got to get this thing right, and I think that they're really hopeful that they finally got it right, and it looked like they did. But then there's reports, there's people saying on Reddit, oh, it's anecdotal, by the way, because there's no adjoining like, data as far as like, what could be consistently happening across these machines causing this. But anecdotally, apparently, and I mean, I guess there's truth to it, but regardless, it's anecdote um, that, that there is, I mean, the telemetry kind of shows that it's fact, but you, you get my point, that uh, random documents and other data are getting deleted on, on when you install the Windows 10 October update. Now it's literally a handful of people that this has happened to. Does that matter? Yes, of course it does. If it happens to one person, that's a problem. Okay, um, and it's to the point now that Microsoft is saying, look, if you've downloaded the you know the Windows uh, Windows 10 1809. Or the October 2018 update. Don't install it yet until we have this figured out. So they've they've put the kibosh on rolling out Windows 10 1809 uh, for now. So if you got it, you got it. If you didn't, mm-hmm. um, I, I don't I don't have all the specifics on this, but they have effectively you know put a stop to it. I, I'll tell you, like, <laughs> I, I mean, I to some degree I empathize with Microsoft on this, and I've this is a point I've made many times on this show. Okay. The amount of hardware and apps and software and drivers and so on that Windows has to be backwards compatible with is astounding and nay impossible, I think, to really pull off without a hitch. Okay, I'm not going to pick so hard on Microsoft for this. Now, if it happened with Apple, Apple knows exactly what you could, you could almost count on your hand what kind of hardware you're dealing with. Or count on your hands. And I know that's not a literal statement, but you get my point. They have very, very controlled resources. And You know, and the devices, they make it themselves. Now, there's an advantage to that, certainly. But then there's an advantage to the other way as well. Okay, this is the same problem that Android runs into compared to iOS. I mean, Apple has its way of doing business. Okay, there's times where it's superior. There's times where I think that it's not. There's times where I think it holds shit back. Um, because in a lot of ways, other than their longevity, I think a lot of MacBooks are fucking shitty computers by comparison. They're not half as powerful as what Windows or you know as, as your average Windows machine. And to, to say nothing of the fact, I mean, all of them are really behind when you when you know you realize that there's supercomputers out there that we should be fucking using. But regardless of that, so you know, I mean, Windows, Windows 10, Windows, you know, take your pick, Windows 7, whatever. These these are Swiss Army knives of operating systems. I mean, it's crazy just how how much you know. I mean, you can almost you know they they are and and I I use this term with res, with respect, not as a pejorative. They are the sluttiest. It's the sluttiest operating system out there. It can take it all, and it can do it all, and it really can. You know, so I, I mean, I mean, you got to give yeah. You, you hear, you see the fanboys, the Google fanboys, the Apple fanboys, and believe me, I'm I'm no lover of Microsoft. I might I might love Panos Panay, but I but I don't love Microsoft okay you know I mean you hear them ripping on it and it's like do you have any fucking idea you know just how hard it is I think to really like keep all of those different, you know, uh, hardware configurations and software configurations and so on from working without a hitch, you know, and from updating without a hitch. I, I, I dare say it's impossible. If only a handful of people ran into that problem, it's important and Microsoft needs to solve it. I'm not saying otherwise, but if only a handful of people that they happen to so far, I mean, honestly, like that's amazing. Like that, you know, as somebody who knows what it takes to code, as somebody who is a coder, like I, I hear that and I just, holy fuck. <laughs> like, that's remarkable that there's only like, like five or six machines that this, that this fucked up on. But no, instead, everybody else is just like, oh yeah, oh, I saw that Ars Technica piece. Oh, fucking Microsoft. Oh, God damn it. Yeah. Okay. Like, you know, shit. So anyway, <laughs> sorry, I'm being brutal tonight. OK, it's 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 a later night. Don't worry, you're getting your Sovereign Tech, baby. You know, I got you covered. OK, I am being a little brutal tonight, but man, like it just the, sh- the shit that sh- the news that you hear, the shit going on and and like the reactions that I see, they just none of it adds up and it just pisses me off. So anyway. Bottom line, until you hear from Microsoft or if you just want to wait for your automatic updates in, in Windows, I know most of my listeners are Windows users. And, look, I'm not ripping on you for that at all. I, I mean, I'm recording this on Windows right now. Okay? Um I mean, again, you don't just have to have a Windows machine, you know, when you step outside of the, you know, the artificial uh, uh, (laughs) price hikes of Apple, uh, you can actually, you know, you can own more than one computer for the price of, of one MacBook that that can't do half of what the three computers you bought for the same price can do so. Uh, anyway, the and look, if you like Apple, please. I used to be an Apple fanboy. Go for it. Have a great time. OK, I was all there. I, you know, I loved my G4 cube. I, I love that fucking machine. I'm not joking. I loved that machine. That thing was awesome. Regardless, uh, yeah, don't don't update, I guess, until Microsoft tells you to. How about that? So um, an interesting thing that's going to be rolling out actually to Windows that I think this has helped mitigate some of that ugly news, or news that is ugly, but not, I mean, look, data loss sucks, you know, I mean, obviously data loss is worse than any security flaw, right, because the data's gone. All right, I I get that, I understand that point, but something that has kind of mitigated that is really the conversation around that at that 10.2 event, um, or or a little afterwards, I guess, they talked about uh, Android app mirroring in Windows 10. This gets pretty crazy. Now, I, speaking of on Patreon, I recently did a review of the Acer Chromebook 15, um, and I did a review of it because I wanted to see, like, okay, what is it like to run this you know, run this laptop that can do, you know, that's Chrome OS, which it's not private, but it's secure for what secure can be without privacy. Um, and, you know, what is it like to, to run Android apps on it, have the Google Play Store there? What is it like to have Linux apps installable on it? Because we know you can do that. This isn't one that had Project Campfire, which is what allows you to boot up to Windows. Um, but this is kind of this This is very strange, OK, because as much as Chrome OS can do all of that, really, Windows is going to be able to do the, the same thing kind of in, in reverse. And it's damned clever, OK, because because Microsoft is building in uh, Android app mirroring. Let me explain what that is. So you're not actually going to, unlike on Chrome OS, where you actually put the Google Play Store on it and you install Android apps. With Windows 10, what you're going to be able to do soon, as long as you have, I think it's the Your Phone Companion, uh, what's it, yeah, Your Phone Companion, that's what it's called. Uh, Right now, it used to be the Microsoft Apps app that would allow you to, like, mirror SMS messages and some other things between your Android phone and your Windows 10 uh, PC, um, I think as long as you have that, they haven't been totally clear how this is going to work, but it's going to roll out in the next few months. Uh, y- you know, you're going to be able to pretty much mirror your phone. OK, and so you're going to be able to use Android apps on your Windows 10 PC. Probably how that's going to happen is, is both devices will have to be connected on your local network, on the home network. Or maybe they'll, depending upon the devices, they might be able to do like uh, Wi-Fi direct. Or even, I don't think Bluetooth might not be fast enough for what they want to do. I mean, but but if it's Wi-Fi Direct, that could be very interesting. Um, and that's similar to kind of like what what uh, Apple, you know, what what macOS can do with iOS, where an iOS device and a macOS device can really talk to each other because of the multi peer connectivity framework built into iOS devices and I guess MacBooks as well. Um, but this is this is really really interesting stuff. Um, so. I mean, what's clever about it is, is that, you know, Microsoft doesn't have to, like, worry about any kind of patents or anything like that. Okay, how do we bake in Android app uh, functionality, you know, into into Windows 10? And obviously, this is a backpedal on where, it wasn't Project Centennial, it was one of those projects where they were trying to make it easy to port. Android apps into a Windows 10 UWP app. Obviously, they're backpedaling on that. But that's the interesting thing is Microsoft knows now, well, we don't really need to do that because everybody's going to have a phone. So if we can just have the phone communicate with the PC and just allow you to run your apps off of your phone, but on your desktop on Windows 10, well, that's just as good. Right. As long as the speeds there, that's that's fine and dandy. And, and that is that is really interesting. And because, you know, another thing that I mentioned in my review of that of the Acer Chromebook 15 was that if you use the app uh, called Crossover, which is a comp- an emulate, an emulator effectively or a compatibility layer, you can run Windows software right in Chrome OS. It's not that you boot up like dual boot with like Campfire, but you actually run, um, you know, you actually run X's effectively in you know in in chrome OS and i messed with this and i ran audacity on a chromebook and everything and you could record a podcast on it. it was interesting there's flaws but you'd have to hear my patreon episode to learn about those uh anyway so but this is this is very very weird because now this is getting to a point where there's no clear advantage over well i think the advantage is still a windows 10 pc is still going to be able to do way more than a chromebook can Okay, Uh, but also the days of the Chromebook and I I said this in my review, the days of the Chromebook being called a thin client or not being a real computer. I mean, those days are over because you can run all kinds of fucking software on there. You know, Linux apps, everything. I mean, those are real computers as any computer could be. Um, But I mean, we're getting some very blurred lines here. I don't like to use that phrase, but that's the best way to describe it. We're getting very blurred lines like if Chromebooks can run Windows shit. And it's going to be able to dual boot into Windows. And yet Windows 10 can also run Android apps. And obviously Windows 10, you can run Linux within Windows 10, uh, you know, natively. Um, I mean, you know, where, <laughs> where do any of these operating's begin and end? You know, operating systems begin and end. You know, I mean, you can do anything on almost any computer now, it almost feels like. And then, you know, later on, we might get into it during game talk. You have Project Stream for Chrome where you say well chrome can't you know they're not very chrome device chromebooks aren't very powerful so you can't really do gaming on it oh no 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 google has that licked they're they're allowing you to play the new assassin's creed what is it odyssey which is a you know triple a plus high end graphical game you're going to play that right in the chrome web browser now so this is i mean like it's all it almost feels we're we're entering a very interesting time where it feels like every platform can just do everything so who gives a fucking shit You know, and you might as well just run with, I guess, what is most the most secure and whatever that even can mean. Um, But that's a whole conversation that we'll have and we'll be keeping an eye on on Sovereign Tech uh, going into the future. So anyway, uh, yeah, the Android app mirroring. I mean, this is really a game changing thing. Uh, Windows 10 and Android. I mean, you know, this is for some people, I think is going to be a match made in heaven. So, all right, let's uh, let's move on to another story. Uh, this is kind of a useful thing uh that you that we can go forward with. In fact, uh earlier this year we talked about um, really a one of my favorite uh, browser extensions, and again, you want to use as few as you can, but one of my favorite browser extensions, that being stylish, which allowed you to repaint the web as it were, where you could uh, you know set like various web pages you can skin them you know, give them different themes to where you could have them in dark mode effectively in fact shit we didn 't even talk about that like <laughs> because the 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 clusterfuck with windows 10, one of the big deals with, with the windows uh, 10 1809 update is that now you have dark you have a dark theme dark. Mode. Mode across the entire operating system, even in the file explorer. Holy fuck. Maybe we can talk about that more during story of the week. Um, I don't want to make a big deal out of that because I think it's stupid when you make a big deal about it. But that is something that has been it's not like with Apple where, you know, Apple people just just, you know, they don't give a shit is whatever Apple tells them to like they'll like. Uh, but, you know, with with Windows, since I was a kid, oh, no, another anecdote. Since I was a kid, people have been begging for, hey, can I get without having to set it for high contrast? Can I get like, you know, and without having to use third party software, could I get Windows to have a fucking black, you know, black background with white text in the file explorer? Well, now, 20 years later, (laughs) and even longer, we finally got it. God damn it. When it happened, it like, it's it stunned me. Like, I, you know, with Windows. When it happens with macOS, you're just like, ah, it's macOS. And, you know, with Linux, you've been able to do it forever. But when Windows finally did it and it was official, it was like, whoa, whoa, wait a minute. <laughs> when did this happen? Uh, and, and it's pretty great. Anyway, so within the within a web browser and this is available so Stylish we talked about how that got bought up by a company and then it pretty much turned into malware um and so you know it was pulled from various uh, extension repositories firefox and so on uh they wouldn't let you install it anymore and there's alternatives but none of them have really ever caught the the ability or you know ha- have had as much uh community around it as Stylish did um unfortunately so Anyway, there's a new a new it's actually made by Razer, as in the, you know, the PC manufacturer Razer. So you can feel a little more confident about it. Uh, and they have come out with an extension called Night Eyes. And I have a link in the show notes for it. They have it for uh, Firefox, Chrome and Edge, believe it or not. Um, I don't know why they felt like they needed to put it out for Edge, but they did. And and it works really well. Now, this is like an algorithmic like scanning of the page. To where and and it it works most of the time. It's about the best automatic implementation of a dark theme across the internet that I've seen. Okay, and it's not one where like a lot. I mean, there's you know black. Uh, what is it? Black background on white text. That's literally the name of a Firefox extension. That'll just literally that'll just absolutely remap everything to where it just does that, and that that is problematic at points. Right? Um, Night eyes tries to do it algorithmically, and it does a pretty good job. You know, most of the time. Now, are you concerned that Razor is collecting uh, your web browsing history and so on? That might not be an unfair concern, but if you want to give this a shot, and you know, you're looking for that late night action, you know, and you don't want that searing white burning your eyes, Night Eyes is about the best implementation I've seen so far. It's new. Um, it's free and uh, but it, it works it works very well so uh, and again it, and it is automatic you can do some painting kind of like you could with stylish where you could choose different colors and so on with it that ends up with mixed results uh, but just what was set by default I actually really really liked my experience overall it worked very well and it's not like stylish where again this is algorithmic stylish you had to install specific themes for specific websites to make it work this works across the board automatically uh, and it's interesting I mean it, it's it's an interesting technique. I would personally love to see, uh, you know, like web browsers themselves build in this functionality without it being an extension. That could get interesting. Mozilla, you should jump on that. Um, but there is something to be said that if it's trying to figure out what the website should look like, that means it's looking at the website that you're looking at. So think about that. But uh, anyway, Night Ice might want to give that a, give that a shot. So all right, uh, we got a couple other quick stories that I want to get into. There's one. So. Here's here's kind of the rub. Um it was discovered and I've got a link in the show notes for this. It was actually sent to me by a Sovereign Tech listener. Um I'm going to read just a touch of the story, but there's an update to it, okay? Uh, Here it is. Apple has introduced software locks that will effectively prevent independent third-party repair on 2018 MacBook Pro computers, uh, according to internal Apple documents obtained by Motherboard. The new system will render the computer inoperative unless a proprietary Apple, quote, system configuration, end quote, software is run after the parts of the system are replaced. According to the document, which was distributed to Apple's authorized service providers late last month, the policy will apply to all Apple. Apple computers with the T2 security chip. Oh, that's not creepy. T2. Dun, 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 dun. Right, Uh, (laughs) which is present in 2018 MacBook Pros as well as the iMac Pro. The software lock will kick in for any repair which involves replacing a MacBook Pro's uh, display assembly, logic board, top case, the keyboard, touchpad, internal housing, and touch ID board. On iMac Pros, it will kick in if the logic board or flash storage are replaced. The computer will only begin functioning again after Apple or a member of one of Apple's authorized service provider repair programs runs diagnostic software called Apple Service Toolkit. To, and obviously that's only going to be available to authorized uh, you know, uh, repairmen, repair people. Um, now, okay, so this is the deal, is that, and, and look, this, there's an update to this, we'll talk about that. This should not, at face value, this should not shock anyone, okay, because they did this exact thing with iPhones, where they made it so that if you did, if you were not an authorized repair facility, whatever, for iPhones... And you tried to, like, maybe replace the screen or something like that. You were locked like your your iPhone would effect, would effectively be bricked. OK. After that fact, we talked about this some time ago. There was some reversal on that decision. Some. Um, but, you know, Apple obviously wants to do that. And that's problem. that's a problem in itself. OK. The update to this story is is that um, iFixit, who's one of those companies, I love iFixit, I really do. Uh, iFixit they like they they tear apart every new device that comes out, and they, they give you like a repairability score and so on. They're really cool, and they sell some great repair kits as well uh, for you know various uh, various devices. Um, they messed with it, and apparently these software locks are not yet they're not yet operational. OK, so the Death Star is not yet operational. They they haven't gotten, they, they you know, that's not it's not implemented yet because they have been able to do teardowns and everything and no problem and repair and replace parts and whatever. And it didn't do anything on 2018 MacBook Pros. OK, so that's the update. So it hasn't happened yet. But let's be really clear about this. The fact that Apple wants to do this is a fact. You hear me? It's a fact. You can say, well, they didn't. Oh, it's not. It's not implemented yet. Yet. It's still part of, you know, their, their, their standards for uh, repair of Apple, you know, of Apple devices. Just like, oh, well, they went back on what they did with the iPhone. You know, they listen to the consumer. And all Yeah, but it should scare the fuck out of you that they that they want to do this anyway. That they want to keep you from being able to repair your own fucking shit in the first place. Now, granted, it's tough to repair your own shit today anyway, right? I mean, considering that you they they pretty much pour the batteries into every empty crevice within a you know a case of a device. I mean, it's really really insane. It is almost impossible to repair the shit anyway. That's a whole other problem that we've talked about for years on this show. But don't tell me that oh well because they went back on oh they haven't implemented it yet yeah you know don't get don't be too hard on Apple no 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 they don't they don't get away with it they don't get away with it they want to do this doesn't matter if they if if they go back on it they want to do this that should be concerning to you okay and what's the solution well you buy computers from people that aren't going to implement these fucking locks you know i mean get you know get get linux machines or whatever else system 76 i don't know you need i mean do, do your do some research on where to buy a computer from Okay, if you're the kind of person that likes to do that. Now, there's a lot of people, in fact, I imagine a lot of Apple people that don't like to get their hands dirty with that. I mean, and, and, and that's kind of a thing too, right? I mean, that's the part where I guess you don't necessarily have to be concerned is that I don't know a whole lot of people that like to get... I mean, there are. I know they're out there and you buy, you know, the, your Mac Pros and everything. Okay, but there aren't a lot of people that like to get dirty, you know, with their computer and, and really break it open and everything that generally buy Apple. I mean, and I'm not insulting you for that. If the shit works for you, it works for you. You are allowed, absolutely, To accept the level of tech that you want to and live with that. Okay. Um, But, you know, let's be clear. I I think that this is any time that you are for no, for, and you could say it's for security and other shit, give me a break. Because the ultimate people that that would be able to even do something where having a security lock of some kind, okay, on, you know, on the hardware, like, I mean, basically the argument would go like this. This is what I imagine the argument is from Apple. Well, we put in these locks that way. If anyone opens up your computer, like if it's the government or the NSA and they open up your computer, you know, you'll the computer won't work anymore and you'll know that your your device has been tampered with. Shut the fuck up, because you think Apple won't play ball with the FBI, the NSA and so on and whatever. I mean, the only people it's stopping. Sure, it's going to stop your run of the mill hacker. okay, but then, yeah, I, I don't buy the argument. OK, I mean, like, like, I don't know who who's leaving their computer laying around to where, you know, your run of the mill hacker would even have the opportunity to take advantage of a hardware exploit like that. Like, I, no, that, that that just that does that doesn't fly. This isn't going to, you know, I could understand Apple's argument if I thought that they actually would refuse to play ball with the government. And don't tell me about San Bernardino shooter, because the problem was Apple explicitly said we would have helped you if you didn't fuck up you know, try, try breaking into his iPhone more times than is allowed. We would have helped you. They didn't deny that they would help the FBI. Sure. They would have Stop! Don't give me that. So, you know, this is the arguments around this are crap. And I think anytime that you keep consumers from being able to repair their own shit or to control their software or do whatever else, that is an anti-consumer move that is anti-consumer. And that should be a problem to you. Okay, I mean, and look, are most of the tech giants doing something that's anti-consumer? Of course. And it's all up to your own personal threshold. But I would be remiss as a tech journalist if I didn't tell you about it. So I appreciate the uh, Sovereign Tech listener, you know, sending that in. Um, I Yeah, I don't like this. I don't like not being able to repair my own shit because I know how and I want to be able to. And especially if I pay a fucking premium price like Apple asks for for their shitty computers. I mean, yeah, they last forever. OK, but but, you know, if we're talking like, you know, raw, raw numbers, performance numbers, shitty computers. You know, how dare you? So anyway, uh, one, you know, speaking of computers, <laughs> And not that this one would be very repairable, but God damn it, is it pretty cool. I put a link in the show notes for it if you want to see it. But Lenovo in China. Now, as far as I know, this is only getting released in China, unfortunately. They made a computer in the shape of of the the ncc 1701 it looks like the 1701 a of the enterprise okay the the uh, refitted constitution class that you know from the movies it looks gorgeous you got to see a picture of this thing i mean it is fucking stunning and the specs are pretty good too uh within it obviously it's not something you're ever going to update it's certainly not something you're going to tool around with but then you expect that when it's such a custom build right when it's a custom case like that not when it's something that's totally assembly line like a macbook okay uh it's, it's gorgeous and and you got to check it out. If, if it ever comes out in America, boy, that'd be a hell of a studio computer to have for Sovereign Tech. That'd be a damn fine studio computer to have. I, I would love it. Um, I like these kinds of things. I mean, people have done this sort of thing before, but really when it's, it's someone that actually like puts together a lot of the components itself, like Lenovo would, um, they get to really make it look good. It looks perfect. I mean, it, it is just a gorgeous and lights up and everything. I mean, it's really a stunning little machine. Um, so check out the you know, the Star Trek PC or the Enterprise PC, if you want to call it that. Um, I think it's beautiful. Again, I do hope it comes to the States. Anyway, woo, we'll be right back with some more Sovereign Tech, because uh, I'm sure that, that enterprise computer is running Windows 10. Well, we're going to talk what Microsoft's up to, or what they were up to this week in the next segment. I'll be right back with more.
0: Stone Age wasn't enough for you. Then we heard it. The sound of something terrible being born. This is magic. Station 3 to Commander Ivanova. Centauri have launched a full scale assault.
1: Time is coming on! It's our turn now! Two million tons of spinning metal, all alone in the night. A world where empires rise and fall, where dreams are born and die, where war and hatred are challenged by love and faith. In the third age of mankind, an age plagued by an evil empire that seeks to destroy humanity, it is our last, best hope for peace, for victory, for freedom. It is Babylon 5. Babylon 5 is available for download on your favorite torrent site. See it now to experience the greatest show in television history Babylon 5. Story of the week. Woo! It is time for story of the week, and boy, are we hot tonight, huh? (laughs) Uh, And it's a little cold outside. A little cold. It's uh, not ice planet zero here yet, but it's getting close. You can tell we're into October 2018. I can't fucking believe that, and obviously Microsoft can't either, because (laughs) it sounds like their update wasn't ready for Windows 10. Oh dear. No. Anyway, no. Like I said, I don't. I'm not going to make fun of them because. Well, I already explained all that during the foreplay of this episode. Um, regardless, they had their 10-2 event. Uh, and I can watch, unlike, like, Apple events have become supremely boring and pointless. Uh, Google events, eh, eh, you know, I, I mean, you, you kind of know the master plan. Like, once you know the master plan with Google events, they're, they're kind of boring, too. And the master plan is, every, for, for anything you see at a Google event, Anything that they talk about that they want to do and that you're going to be able to do, anything that they show off to work effectively requires every single human being on fucking planet Earth and every house and on planet Earth to have Google technology in their hands or lacing the house or whatever. And you have to understand that. And once you understand that, you recognize it's all bullshit because that ain't that ain't going to happen. At least in my opinion, I don't think it's going to happen. Um So anyway, you know, and and Facebook events, I mean, I I can't watch Zuckerberg. You know, like, I I can't take that guy seriously. I can't watch it with a straight face. Um, I don't like popcorn, because otherwise it'd be popcorn fair, but I can't fucking stand popcorn, and I'd probably end up vomiting it by the end of the fucking, you know, event that Zuckerberg is leading, so I can't do it. Um, But I'll tell you, Microsoft events. Now these, these... They've got the magic back down, you know, for back, back what Steve Jobs used to be able to do. Microsoft has got this figured out. okay. and they've got a guy who's just a fucking natural Panos Panay, who is. And and I think I talked about this on a recent Patreon episode, too. But look, they can't pay this guy enough. There is there no price too high for this guy because he is he's the only thing keeping that company afloat he's the he is the thing that gets people excited because he's just natural he looks like he's talking naturally he doesn't look like he's going off a script at all and he might not be he's the head of the surface division more or less uh, among other things you might as well make the guy fucking president of the company you know even though satya you know has ideas but i mean panos is just fucking brilliant he he is if there's a steve jobs in the world right now it's panos panay I mean, it really is like he is he is the next, if as it were, Steve Jobs, um, not obviously he's with Microsoft and now with Apple. Apple had their shot with Scott Forstall. They fucked that up and fired him. And well, there you go. You know, vision gone. Uh, and the company's been boring ever since. But regardless, uh, Panos Panay, just brilliant. I mean, it's, it's watching magic on the screen, you know, with with him talking about stuff. And I'm not saying that Microsoft necessarily announced anything interesting. In fact, the most interesting thing really that they talked about was a goddamn pair of headphones. Can you believe that? <laughs> that at a tech giant hardware event, the most exciting thing going on is a pair of headphones. Um, anyway, so the, well, let's talk a little bit about what they did announce. Of course, we aforementioned they did release temporarily the uh, Microsoft or you know the Windows Ten uh, October update twenty eighteen and or Windows 10 1809. So much easier to say. Uh, they released that and. You know, that that ran into its own challenges. Not a whole lot to talk about that really that that allowed for. There's some new interesting search features. You can play music in the game bar. And, you know, there's some things like that. And and I think some other interesting features are getting laid out with that your phone companion. That is not just Android. It's also with iOS. But a lot of the more interesting features I think are going to be Android exclusive because the open nature of an operating system. Imagine that you can do cool shit when when an operating system is a little more open. Hmm, Who knew? Apple, Uh, But well, they apparently don't know. Uh, But regardless of that. So, um, yeah, I mean, that that, functionality is coming. The big deal is really the dark mode across the board. And it is a beautiful thing to behold. And I have done some late night work. In fact, I'm doing late night work right now. And to have dark mode across fucking everything, even the file explorer, which I honestly spend a lot of time on. uh, That's great like that. Thank you. <laughs> and I, and I mean it thank you uh the, you know it was crazy i i was really annoyed when like apple users were all saying oh we got dark mode in Ma- on mac os holy shit this is the greatest thing ever um i don't think on mac that's necessarily the greatest thing ever right i mean be- well anyway whatever but on windows like i said earlier this is something that's been wanted for a very very long time so uh, it's exciting to finally have it uh, but anyway so they did release some new devices uh, there was an update to um Let's see, there was an update to the the Surface Laptop. Not a major update. I mean, like there's, you know, now you have an 8th gen Intel chip in there, you know, quad core and so on. And uh, battery life is significantly better, but there's no USB-C. Everybody's talking about that. There's probably reasons behind that. Um, but that 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 was announced. Um, there's a new Surface Studio, Surface Studio 2, which will hopefully be a little more powerful than the sloth kind of that the first Surface Studio was. Uh, so that was a nice update. Then there is the Surface Pro, the original Surface, the Surface Pro 6. Um, And, you know, that has kind of similar updates and certainly a very nice machine Uh, overall. You know, if you're looking at, like, what can I do the most with as far as a computer and what has, like, a lot of very unique functionality and form factor and so on, the Surface Pro 6 is probably the best computer out there right now. Uh, You know, I mean, just saying. Now, that's not the one I would buy, but I am saying that overall and what it can do and all the different form factors and power and all the different ports that it has, it's a pretty impressive machine for what it is. Um, You know, and the prices are right. Most of the prices starting, you know, sub $1,000 for a lot of these, uh, which is pretty, I mean, not for the Surface Studio, of course. That's a, you know, that's their all in one computer that can bend down, you know, fold down and everything that got a lot of creatives really excited because, you know, again, Apple doesn't give a shit about Mac OS. So, uh, you know, they've they've thrown the creative class pretty much out the door and just gave them a touch bar on their laptops. OK, uh, but anyway, sorry. look, I know I have Apple fans out there that are listening to the show. I don't mean to be so harsh on it, but just it, it, it's so the the contrast is so stark between an Apple event and a Microsoft event. And even if Microsoft wasn't even putting out the most exciting things out there or the most powerful things by comparison to Apple hardware, but they are, but even if they weren't, it's just so much more exciting to watch a Microsoft event because, like, you're actually seeing new form factors and you're seeing, like, interesting things being released and so on. Even though there could have been some more, you know, it would have been nice if there was some HoloLens. Like, there, there should have been some more. It wasn't all, you know, sunshine and roses, okay, for the, for the Microsoft event because there should have been more talk of more interesting device categories um, that didn't happen. There was some talk after the fact, like the pocketable, the Project Andromeda foldable computer. Panos talked about that, said that's kind of his dream device. But, you know, he raised the point that hey, yeah, you know, this is something that I want, but how do you convince people to have a pocket computer and a mobile phone at the same time? I mean, fill in both of your back pockets. Like, how is this going to work? You know, real quick, real quick, I want to talk about this. Ladies, okay, particularly ladies and guys, if you're guys, you know, guys the guys, right on, good for you. I want you to tell me, like, like really, in fact, send it, I, I'm going to talk about it. I want to talk about it during an important messages segment. Explain to me the problem with cargo pants. Like, I got to know. I mean, we are in such a tech-heavy world. You pretty much need cargo pants. It's a miracle of Satan that jeans, you know, a pair of jeans, Levi's, are still, you know, the pantaloons de jour. Okay? It, it's a miracle, I think. Everybody, I, I would think, should be wearing cargo pants right now. I mean, hell, look, even on Star Trek, it doesn't make any damn sense. They have no pockets on any other shit. You know, unless it's Enterprise, which, you know, those are very practical, those jumpsuits. But, like, what the fuck? So explain to me why cargo pants, why you're not digging those. I I, I want to hear, like, the reasoning behind that, and I don't want to go to Google or, or even DuckDuckGo to do that. So I'll I'll be waiting for your emails. Just go to uh, contact.zog.ninja or email me at bbs at SovereignTech.com to tell me all about it. All right. I want to hear about it now at the actual Surface event. okay, and I guess that's what you would call it. I mean, it was on October 2nd. It was on Tuesday. But the Surface event at the Surface event, you had uh, maybe the most interesting thing really to get announced out of that. And there was some other little stuff, too. But maybe the most interesting thing to get announced was the Surface headphones. Yes. Headphones. Now, (laughs) the first thing to say about them is that oh they have a direct line to cortana and it's like oh there's a direct line to god in my headphones (laughs) what the hell but uh but in, in yeah there's they have cortana capability communicative capability and like I don't know that many people that even talk to Cortana and a lot of the cool things that you could even want to talk to Cortana about, like, hey, Cortana, play this such and such song for me. And it used to do that in Microsoft Groove, which I used to take advantage of that. And I thought that was pretty fucking great. But it can't even do that anymore. And it's from a pair of headphones. It makes sense. Like, that was the one functionality that they removed from Cortana that they should have left in if they knew they were going to come out with Surface fucking headphones with Cortana built in. What the hell were you thinking Microsoft getting rid of like all groove and all the music functionalities so on I guess maybe it works right with Spotify fuck I don't know because I don't use Spotify uh, but anyway so service headphones kind of the major deal that people talk about it has like nine or ten different levels of noise canceling that's interesting they're $350 headphones I think that that's kind of I mean I look I know a great pair of Sennheiser's or you know Bose or yeah, Harman Kardon. I don't know whatever you know that when you get into the high end yeah you can easily pay hundreds upon hundreds of dollars for, you know, for a really sweet pair of headphones. I understand that. I think 350 is crazy when I I get it that the Surface line is trying to be the aspirational line, but I think a lot of people that maybe you just got excited about the Surface line who just bought a Surface Go, which is what, a sub, sub $500 computer, right? So you're looking at not so much the aspirational class, but people that just bought a Surface Go. And maybe got that nice little travel surface mouse for like 20 bucks or 30 bucks, whatever. I think you missed an opportunity to sell them a really great pair of headphones. And if you kept it under $200, it could have happened. But really, that's it. I mean, and apparently they sound pretty good and so on. And I don't know. I have no interest in them. And in fact, some of the stuff in the Surface line, I have. Now, down the line, I've been disappointed in. Um, I bought that the really high-end Surface mouse that was like $100. Um, I got one of those, and it, it won't keep a Bluetooth connection anymore. I mean, granted, I'm pretty brutal with mice, but it won't keep a Bluetooth connection anymore. And I, that, was, that just came out in, the, well, I guess it's almost a year, but it was last November. Look, a mouse, a $100 mouse, should be lasting you for years. You know, $20 mice used to last you a decade. I mean, and I mean that. I know that for a fact. So, oh, it's anecdotal. Oh, fuck. Anyway, some people can talk from experience. I think that's what you're afraid of is that you don't have experience, young man, and you don't like to hear what other people do. No, they might be smarter than you. Oh, shit. Anyway, uh, so, yeah, $350 Microsoft headphones. That let, Let's break it down to just being that I think that's ridiculous. Uh, I mean, it's interesting in a way, but it's too little too late. You drop the functionality that would have made headphones interesting anyway. Cortana is not in use by just about anyone. And you could say, well, but because of the Cortana Alexa functionality, this could be particularly interesting. You effectively have a pair of Alexa headphones. All right, but then let's be clear here. Those aren't Surface headphones. Those are Amazon headphones. You know, I mean, and that that just that doesn't really to me, that doesn't necessarily speak well to Microsoft, unless Microsoft wants to do, which it seems to be very much doing, is that they are just opening up all the gardens. Right. They are allowing for Android apps to be a major part of Windows 10. Uh, they are allowing for, you know, all kinds of things they are open up and they're developing their their premier software for every platform that they can find. So if they just want to drop Cortana and just make a deal with Amazon and have Alexa be the, uh, you know, the virtual assist uh, virtual assistant de jour then go for it okay like like do that but stop you know stop putzing around stop you stop with all the you know the horse pucky okay of saying well this has cortana Ooh, you're gonna want to spend 350 dollars. okay yeah how's that harman kardon speaker doing the what is it the invoke or whatever it was that got released last year you know anybody with those do they even have like software update firmware updates or anything for that anymore nope and that was three hundred dollars. Yeah, I I don't trust it. So but it is I mean, it it was like the shocker. Like, I don't think anybody was really and not that kind of shocker. OK, you know, take relax your ass. Yeah, I mean, this, this is the thing that nobody was really expecting, I think, was were these headphones. But then there's not a whole lot necessarily uh, really to tell. Um, I mean, the Cortana functionality could be interesting if Cortana could do shit. You know like if you, if Cortana could effectively do just about everything you want to done on your computer, then having a pair of headphones that control like, you know, say cross device, right? Like where where you could any computer that was running that had you were logged into with your Microsoft account and they has Cortana running on it and it could do everything you say like you could talk into it into your headphones and say Computer one do this and you know but but it can't do that you know like Cortana doesn't have that ability is this heading in that direction kind of like what Apple wants to do with Siri and certainly what Alexa does with you know with smart speakers and so on and Google does as well with Google Assistant sure maybe that's that's going in that direction but it's not enough and you need it to fucking wow people and. And the Microsoft faithful who pay attention to the news, everything coming out of Microsoft, knows that they've been dropping features from Cortana, not adding them. So there's no confidence in a kind of in a product like this. Um, So, I mean, it was, you know, presentation wise, the surface event was great. You know, like, I mean, Panos was just in fine form and it was a real joy to watch. Um, the Surface Laptop 2 is an interesting device. Sucks that it doesn't have USB-C. That's not a huge deal to me, but I get where it is to others. OK, uh, but it's a fine device, fine price. Surface Pro 6, I already told you about that. Surface Studio 2 needed to be a thing. Um, you know, I mean, it's, it's all stuff that needed to be out there. It's a little iterative, but it's all stuff like all improvements that... I think they bet a lot, you know, Microsoft over the years had bet a lot on the Surface line, and they found out just what exactly, which parts of it were successful, which the Surface laptop was, and Surface Studio in a very real sense was, but there was a lot of critiques. And I think that they were just trying to, like, resolve a lot of those critiques. So, in a way, it's a good thing, but just there was nothing like Earth-shattering, you know, where some recent Microsoft events, frankly, had been downright like, whoa, holy shit, the future's here. It wasn't one of those. It really wasn't. And, in fact, there's been some flubs to come out of it, you know, again, like with the uh, the Windows 10 uh, 1809 update. So, anyway, uh, that's the Microsoft event and my review of it. Uh, of course, fuck Microsoft, you know, I mean, they're just part of the surveillance system anyway. But, regardless, within the consumer space, I mean, this is where there is some interesting stuff, and some of their hardware within the Surface line is actually really great. I, But I don't, boy, if you want to ask me about those headphones, not worth it, not worth it at all. So we'll be right back with some more Sovereign Tech. Woo! Hey, I want to tell you about a Sovereign Tech sponsor. Now, you may have known it as Zencash, but they have gone through a bit of a rebranding. And, hey, I get it. The rebranding is Horizon, and Again, not, not like Horizon, Horizon, So H O R I Z E N. And you can find their website Horizon.global. And I mean they're still, you know, the monetary the, the cryptocurrency is still called Zencash and so on. But again, like we've always said, Zencash was originally an entire platform, and Horizon is putting that woo, on the horizon, baby. So you want to check it out, go to Horizon, again, it's H-O-R-I-Z-E-N.global, Horizon.global, and I thank them for sponsoring Sovereign Tech. Now, let's get back to the show. Woo! Music. This week in blockchain, it is time for this week in blockchain, where we talk about something happening in blockchain. You know, something I didn't get into actually that they also announced at the Ten Two event is that, or at the Surface event on Ten Two, that Microsoft announced was um, was it Surface All All Access? I think it's called, yeah, Surface All Access, where kind of like what Apple allows for with iPhones, where you can pay a monthly fee and get updated and all that, and what Microsoft also already implemented with their Xbox line, where you can pay like, you know, 16, 20 bucks, 25 bucks, however much a month it adds up to, um, and get, you know, a subscription service effectively to their hardware. Um they announced that as well, and I think that starts on October sixteenth where you can start uh ordering through surface all access so if you can't afford outright some of this higher end uh, uh hardware, you can get it through um through all access again there's links in the show notes for a lot of this stuff um okay, so for this weekend blockchain this uh this also got sent in by a sovereign tech listener actually um and this is this is kind of interesting, but uh, Not surprising. So the story is it's from The Wall Street Journal, uh, and it's from September 24th, 2018. Walmart requires lettuce and spinach suppliers to join blockchain. Uh, January 31st, 2019 deadline for direct suppliers, others to follow in the next year. Let me read a little bit of the story here. We'll talk about it. Uh, What is this? Lettuce on blockchain? Well, (laughs) hold on. Uh, Walmart in a letter to be issued Monday to suppliers will require its direct suppliers of lettuce spinach and other greens to join its food tracking blockchain by January 31st 2019 the retailer also will mandate that farmers logistic firms and business partners of these suppliers join the blockchain by September 30th 2019 the supplier push comes after 18 months of testing the blockchain system from developed uh, or yeah system from developed or developer by developed by international business IBM uh, tests to trace berries mangoes baby food chicken and other foods on the IBM food trust blockchain. That's an actual name. IBM food trust blockchain have produced a more complete view of the food system than under current federal regulations. According to nest uh, Nestle SA, uh whatever to Nestle and other participants in the project, pinpointing the source of food contamination can improve public safety, cut the amount of time illness goes unchecked and could save money for retailers and farmers who can be swept into overly broad product recalls. Um, so anyway, they, they break this down quite a bit as to what's going on here. Now, I mean, here's the real story is that blockchain, you know, we've known this for a while, that blockchain would end up getting used for things beyond currency, beyond cryptocurrency. Okay, obviously, you know, that's not new news to anyone that really knows even the term blockchain, I think. Okay, Um, this idea of of the IBM Food Trust blockchain, we kind of knew that was coming. IBM has been very early on. They've been developing their own blockchains for years now. Okay, various different ones. Some of them for IoT, some of them obviously for food tracking. Um, now, this is all taking advantage. These kind of implementations are taking advantage of blockchain's led open ledger ability, and supposedly, it is open uh, to do this. There is not. I, I think when some people hear like, "Ooh, Walmart and blockchain," right? That suddenly they think, "Oh, Bitcoin's going to go through the roof. Everything's going to go to the moon because Walmart's accepting blockchain or something like that." Now, they're they're just they're accepting a certain implementation. Okay, of of this technology, and it might surprise. I mean, this seasoned investors would not be so much shocked by this because Walmart is actually wildly, believe it or not, Walmart is very much on the bleeding edge of a lot of your latest tech developments. Well before blockchain was a thing, um, I mean, they they really are. In fact, I went to, <laughs> ironically, I went to Walmart earlier today. Um, as of this, this recording, and this is getting recorded today, October 6th. Yes. Yeah. October 6th, 2018. Um, I went there earlier today and it was a funny thing. Like a thought struck me. Okay. And in fact, we might talk about this during important messages. A thought struck me, but like the only company that can really take on Amazon. Okay. Is Walmart. You know, I, I mean, it just is like that. That's, that's a fact of life. All right. And I mean, I don't think Google can take on Amazon. I don't think anybody else can take on Amazon, but Walmart can. And it's all one could. This isn't true. This isn't accurate. There's problems with it because it's just another, you know, corporate shithead. Okay, but you, you could almost make the argument that if you wanted to, like, really, you know, punch Amazon in the gut, as it were, I don't like to use those terms. But if you did shop at Walmart (laughs) because that's the only person that can take them on. You know, if you see, like if you put this in star Wars terms, uh, which can't wait for, uh, the new star Wars show actually to, to, to ramp up here, uh, It'd be the day after I release this. Um, anyway, and boy, The Mandalorian, is anybody getting excited about that? you got to listen to the Patreon episodes with me and Rob. We, we do the Star Wars update every month on Patreon. you got to hit that. Anyway, if you put this in Star Wars terms, if you thought of Amazon as the Galactic Empire or the First Order, then Walmart might be seen as the, as the Resistance or as the Rebellion depending upon which, which uh, era you're in. Um, but, you know, not really. I'm not arguing for that. And I'm not saying that that's true. But, I mean, Amazon is a deadly, se- or I'm sorry, Walmart is a deadly serious technology company I mean they really really are and they are easily on the cusp of a lot of this um, this is this is actually an okay implementation like I, I really don't have a problem with this because it is an open ledger and it is tracking food distribution and so on I think this is important I think it's important for it to be open and maybe even even though this won't exactly be decentralized for it to be decentralized and accessible from the farmer to you know the warehouse to help maybe even the trucker to, you know, to the Walmart store itself. This is a fine implementation of this technology uh, because, you know, and I, I've, I've talked about this, I've had long screeds about this before on Sovereign Tech. We don't really, like, you know, everybody's saying, oh, there's not enough food in the world, we can't feed everybody. That's not true. There's plenty of food in the world. It might not be the best food, but I mean, but there's plenty of it. The problem is, is that there's regulations and there's distribution issues. And can blockchain solve those distribution issues? Yes, it can and it already is Um, i don't trust ibm i don't trust walmart and i don't like that something's called food trust but i get the point and i think blockchain can be implemented in this and it can work and so this isn't a bad thing this is one of those things yeah you put it on blockchain yeah this is going to help stuff so anyway we'll be right back with some more sovereign tech but you're not going to make any money out of this fact either Uh, at least i mean you're not going to make any cryptocurrencies that are going to you know inflate some crazy amount of money we'll be right back with more from big finish productions
0: blake seven the classic audio adventures.
1: I'm taking Liberator in on manual.
0: We'll be in teleport range in two minutes. What the hell was that? Information Liberator has been attacked.
1: You don't say. Put up the force wall. Confirm. Message to all ground
0: commanders initiate the final phase. Let's crush these rebels once and for all. My name is Avon. Ker Avon.
1: Ker Avon. a hostage arrives, but you may be unnecessary. As a hostage, it's
0: nice to be superfluous.
1: You can go to Blake7.com to find more of the new adventures of one of science fiction's greatest masterpieces, Blake7, at Blake7.com. Important messages. It is time for important messages where I answer the questions and you can ask me anything. Tech, science, hell, it might not have anything to do with that at all. It could be about cargo pants and I hope that you get in touch with me about that. I want to know what's the fucking problem with them. And cargo shorts if you want to get fancy. Or if you want to get a, a sassy, I should say. Because <laughs> there ain't nothing fancy about it. But that's the thing. Why aren't they fancy? All right. um, yeah, you can ask me anything. BBS at SovereignTech.com. That's the, uh, you can also get in touch with me on Twitter. Some people still do that. I do still have a Twitter account. Um, and also there's contact.zog.ninja where you can be completely anonymous if you wish because I don't need your name or email address or whatever. You can just send me something, stories, a question, whatever on that. So, uh, yeah, got some, uh, got a couple interesting questions here. One I'd love to spend more time with because it's a little more fun, but the other's kind of serious. Uh, let's read it here. Jeff Bezos. Uh, let's, let's see. So yeah, this is about Bezos. Uh, Hey, Stallion, not sure if you heard about Bezos pulling a $15 an hour minimum wage at Amazon out of his ass or not. But it sounds like it sounds a lot like things you have been saying he would do. What say you? Who? Uh, thank you for keeping that brief for one. <laughs> um, I don't know how much I exactly have to say about this. I think it ironic. Well, okay, something I've been complaining about recently. We, we, there was a recent episode, what was it, Amazon Rainforest or something I, I titled it. It was just a couple episodes ago. But I was talking about, I was pissed off that you have a lot of you know, free marketeers and so on praising Amazon. Oh, isn't Amazon wonderful? Isn't that great what they're doing? Or you have libertarians praising them. Who praised, who else praised Jeff Bezos this week on Twitter and that Jeff Bezos accepted the praise and considered an ally in what he was doing senator bernie sanders <laughs> yes <laughs> wait a minute i thought bernie sanders was i mean this this guy's public enemy number one for libertarians right that's what I thought this guy's a commie this guy's just terrible but bezos is really whoa thank you thank you mr sanders you wonderful thank you senator sanders oh you know we're, we're we're on the same team we're all trying to get there where are they trying to get Well, that's what I've been talking about on Sovereign Tech for a while. Now, I had to make clear because I got asked about this, I think it was maybe last week or the week previous during Important Messages. Look, yeah, I think Bezos is trying to get to a pseudo, pseudo, important word, pseudo post-scarcity kind of system. I think that's what he's shooting for. He's effectively shooting for some like brand of socialism in a very real sense. Okay, and that's part of why I get annoyed that libertarians are like saying, oh, he's doing this great and wonderful thing, blah, 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 when they don't realize that what this guy's real master plan is. And I think when you have him, you know, effectively making out with Bernie Sanders on Twitter, uh, you know, libertarians, that should be raising your flags. Like, wait a minute. Why are we supporting this guy? Like this guy is he's not on he's not on your team. Okay, Uh, now, I mean, my whole thoughts on the fifteen dollars an hour minimum wage thing Uh, this is not going to go over well. (laughs) I mean, Amazon has two things going for Amazon. Okay. I'm not going to bet against Bezos for one, a couple things to understand. One is, is that Amazon certainly has the money to have a 15, you know, to, to make a really a, a marketing, not a Marquette, but a marketing play like this of $15 an hour. And it smacks of UBI, of universal basic income, which I have theorized, I have predicted that Bezos is trying to get to and is supportive of, and he's trying to get to this certain type of society. Uh, What's known as, or what I think should be known as Treconomics, which is a book which I think describes what a lot of Silicon Valley is actually going for. I highly recommend the book Treconomics, even if you're not a Star Trek fan. Uh, It has a lot to say, and Rothbard gets quoted in it, Mm -hmm. and he gets talked about. So uh, anyway, yeah, so... You know the fifteen dollars an hour thing. I think is is it's it's marketing. That that's a total mark, uh, you know, advertising play, okay? Uh, but Amazon has the money where they could run that as kind of a loss leader, effectively for a good long while. Um, also, that Bezos can swoon, and he now has evidence. You know, he can now back his words up, as to where before it was kind of a matter of faith, but now he can really back it up. Um, Bezos can. Can win over investors and even people to buy bonds and whatever do, you know, do private bond sales and so on uh, to where even if Amazon's not making money and they're hemorrhaging money like there's no tomorrow because of a fifteen dollar an hour minimum wage. uh, Investors will just keep giving him money because they believe in his long term place. And I do think that and we've been talking about it for months now of what Amazon's really what their very long term play is, which, again, I think is I mean, he's really looking to get to some kind of. Some kind of socialism, really. Okay, now, I'm not again, I'm not saying I support going to to some kind of pseudo post scarcity, at least not one that Amazon has in mind. I'm not saying I support any. I'm not I don't support the Venus Project. I don't support any of that horseshit. Okay, Uh, you know, but but this is what these guys have in mind and no one else is talking about it. And I think I am well ahead of the curve on that. And I think that this fifteen dollars an hour move, it wasn't surprising to me at all when I heard it. I was like, well, this is just this is part of the plan. This is exactly what I've been describing that that Bezos is shooting for. Um, Now, there are interesting details within this, like bonuses that used to be widely available have been completely cut off. Like, there have been a lot of things done internally. A lot of money has shifted around internally to where there are a lot of incentives that existed before that have been taken away. And now it's just like this flat run of, you know, again, of a minimum wage of $15 uh, an hour within, you know, Amazon, the company. But there's a lot of real funny things. Uh, Again, a lot of shifting of money and removal of, uh, again, bonuses and other uh, incentives and benefits that were taken away within that. So you want to pay attention to that again this is total complete fucking marketing on amazon's part i mean it just is okay this is not i mean you could say that bezos maybe really cares like you know t- talking about checkonomics you've got to read this book uh, i think it's genius i'm not saying i agree with it i'm saying it's genius though and i think it points out how a lot of people think especially in in, in with the tech giants okay i think bezos is genuinely a star trek fan Um, I think he would like to have a Star Trek future. Most tech, most, you know, tech CEOs would. Steve Jobs blatantly said that. uh, And I'm sure many others would would happily admit to it. OK, I wouldn't mind somewhat of a Star Trek future myself somewhat. Um, And I, you know, I think that while this is marketing, I think it's also him kind of forcing the hand to try and get there, you know, to get to what he sees as a Star Trek future on Earth. So, and again, you know, when I talk about Treconomics, we're not talking about going to outer space. We're not talking about, you know, like going warp speed and all that stuff. This is just about like more the economics of the Federation and so on. Um, And I I think really that's a big part of it. So that's my read on the whole $15 an hour minimum wage thing um, at Amazon. Uh, I mean, other companies have tried this within Silicon Valley itself, and it has not done well for them. Um, Amazon might be able to kind of pull it off. For a while, just because they can handle, you know, they, they can treat it sort of as a loss leader, you know. And again, I do think this is with just marketing on their part. But, um, yeah, that, that's my thoughts on it. You know, we'll see what actually happens. It's going to be interesting if we ever get to see any of the numbers that come out of this. Well, again, we'll we'll see. Um, and I do think that also it is pointing at. I mean, this could almost be called like a pseudo UBI. In a very real way, okay. I think it's pointing at that. So yeah, it's just thank you, emailer. You know, you recognized you picked up what I was putting down, um, and I think this is just more evidence of everything I've been saying that Amazon is doing. Not just you know how they're becoming a monopsony, though. Even now, it's starting to look like they might even become a monopoly as well. Um, there's been some some hints on that. Maybe we'll talk about that in future sovereign tech. Um, but yeah, like this this plan for where Bezos wants, like this pseudo post scarcity future. Um, mm-hmm. I think this is pointing at it. Anyway, we'll be right back with some more. sovereign tech. Hey, I know what you're thinking. Wow. This is a great fucking show. And you know what? I agree with you. And I'm not just saying it because I'm the host, Woo, but I am the podcast champion, baby. And let me tell you, if you want to help out the podcast champion, you want to help out the Golden Stallion, the man of tomorrow, Zoo, the rated R radio star, and you want to make Sovereign Tech an even bigger show. Here's how you do it. And don't worry, it's not for free, and you get something out of it. You go to Patreon. You go to patreon.com slash Sovereign Tech, sovryn Tech. Patreon.com slash Sovereign Tech. Become a Sovereign Tech patron, and you will get access to literally thousands of hours of bonus content there's new content every week you get to be in the live Q&A hangouts that we do every month you get to access to the Wednesday Q&A Did you like that important messages segment we do one every single week and it goes a good hour strong if not longer if needed depending on how many questions there are that's only for patrons and all you got to do is at least a dollar a month some do significantly more and I'm honored by that but become a patron support the show help it grow Patreon.com slash Sovereign Tech. And I thank you to all the patrons already out there and all the ones to come. Patreon.com slash Woo! Let's get back to the show.
0: HackSec.
1: It is time for HackSec, where we talk issues, uh, specific issues, shall we say, of hacking and security and so on. Uh, and wow. Um, you know, I know I've been a little hard on Apple this whole episode but i think a couple times i had a really good point to bring up about it and i got one more for you <laughs> this oh ha, this story's coming from the verge um the fbi used a suspect's face to unlock his iphone in ohio case and the story is from september 30th 2018 um let's uh let's read on about this when Apple debuted Face ID with the iPhone 10 last year, it raised an interesting legal question. Can you be compelled to unlock your phone by looking at it? In an apparent first, Forbes reports that the FBI got a suspect to unlock his phone during a raid in August. In August, the FBI raided the home of Grant Michelski, uh, looking for evidence that he had sent or received child pornography. They were armed with a search warrant. Uh, warning, this documentation contains explicit descriptions of sexual abuse, uh, which allowed them to search Michalski's computer for evidence, and during the raid, agents recovered his iPhone X. The agents who found the iPhone asked Michalski to unlock the device via Face ID, which he did. They, quote, placed the phone into airplane mode and examined it by looking through the files and folders manually and documenting the findings with, or findings with pictures, end quote. As my colleague Eddie Robertson noted last year, courts have ruled that there's a difference between something like a facial or fingerprint recognition system and a passcode that you type into your phone. As Apple and other companies have pushed for facial recognition systems, it was only a matter of time before a case like this would pop up. While Michelski cooperated on the scene, the FBI was locked out of the device because they didn't have his passcode. They asked for and were granted a second search warrant which grants them the authority to conduct a more thorough search of the device. It doesn't appear that they will use Michelski's face again to unlock the phone. The FBI David notes that uh, both the Columbus police department and Ohio Bureau of uh, criminal investigation possess devices that would allow them to bypass a phone's passcode. And yes, of course those devices uh, do exist. Um, but however, okay, this is a long running thing that we've been talking about for a while. Okay. As soon as, you know, touch ID became a thing on iPhones. I was telling you, look, don't buy, you know, don't, don't do it. Don't use biometrics. Don't use biometrics as security. Okay. Because they, they have all kinds. I mean, there's legal issues abound and this is just proving it even more that if, you know, compared to a passcode, I mean, you can say, well, but if they have, a, if they have devices that can get past a passcode anyway, what does it matter? Well, that they may not be able to get past every passcode on every device, Okay, but they can sure as hell if you are locking your device either with your fingerprint or your face, you know, you like I mean, all kinds there's Windows Hello, Samsung has it implemented into their phones and so on. If you're using some kind of facial ID to do that, um, you have no real protections. And you can argue with the government, you don't have any protections whatsoever. And I understand that argument. But again, the idea here is make it expensive for them or, if anything, buy yourself time. Okay, and using biometrics using your fingerprint or your face to lock your devices you know if they have to go get those devices that get past your your passcode okay that may be time that you have where who knows what that could save who knows what that could do for you okay you want to make it difficult for them no one's saying that like there's foolproof solutions necessarily here against whatever alphabet soup organization or anyone say i mean what you know (laughs) <laughs> Again, what if this was? Yeah, I mean, just 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 change around the situation. The fact is, you could you know they could just put the phone up to your face and it's going to unlock it more or less. Now, if you have your passcode that has to go in as well, great. I'm glad that Apple at least kind of thought about that. But certainly, we're approaching a time where all of the tech giants just want you to use that kind of login. You know, some kind of biometric login style, be it your fingerprint be it your, uh, your face, whatever it is. Okay. And you can think of all kinds of malicious actors that would totally take advantage of that. Okay. This, I mean, it, it's happening, you know, it, it is really, really happening. And, you know, I mean, to say nothing of the fact that again, they had to go for multiple warrants in this case. Okay. If you have multiple layers of security. You know, like, I I mean, they're going to have to get multiple warrants. Again, that's buying you time. Or maybe, I mean, uh, this is doubtful, I grant you, but maybe when it says, okay, well, yeah, we got a warrant to use, you know, or we didn't need a warrant to use his uh, his thumbprint or to use his face, you know, to use face ID. And then they go to get a warrant to go deeper. And the warrant may not go through. They may say, no, you you know, we're not going to hand you over a warrant for that. Because at some points, admittedly, at least in American court's, There has been points where, okay, no, we we can't just, like, willy-nilly search people's electronic devices. I'm not saying that you should count on that whatsoever, and you shouldn't, okay? But lock down your devices as much as you fucking can, okay? And don't use biometrics to do it. Biometrics are not protected by law whatsoever so you're running into that problem already and they're just i think they are too easy uh to have implemented to go through especially i mean like with android devices generally you know biometrics will get you through i mean there's no passcode involved will get you through in no time or put passcodes on all of your apps as well i mean there's lots of ways lots of layers you can add on to this but don't don't do biometrics don't count on that there's too many problems in this ohio case just brings up more We'll be right back with some more Sovereignty. Hmm.
0: The most incredible television event ever as you join the crew of Battlestar Galactica. Right here, you creepy crew. I have led the entire human race to ruin. The
1: last of mankind fighting for life in a hostile galaxy.
0: Most of us are dead. Alone. With only one hope, Battlestar Galactica and her crew. There is no other
1: destination.
0: Commander Adama, Captain Apollo, the intrepid Starbuck, and the dazzling Athena. Searching for a new and peaceful worlds.
1: We may as well live for today. We might not have many left. Let the attack
0: begin. New age of high adventure, Battlestar Galactica. Game
1: Talk. It is time for Game Talk, where baby we get to talk up some video games. And what well, you know, before we get into it, I mean, there's a bunch of stories I could get into for Game Talk this week. But before we get into any of them, um, man, a dream came true this week. <laughs> I think it was Wednesday, or no, maybe it was Tuesday. Maybe it was on on the ten two during the Surface event. Um, I. Uh, Mega Man 11 came out. I can't first off, I can't believe there's a Mega Man 11. I mean, I was shocked as fuck back in the Wii days when Mega Man 9 and 10 came out, and both of those were great. But this is a full-on by Capcom respectful Mega Man release. And this isn't just like I mean, I like the 8-bit rehash of Mega Man uh, 9 and 10. I really really like that. But this is, I mean, this is the real deal. And this game is gorgeous and it is awesome. It's it's hard. You know, it's a it's a platformer. I mean, it plays like some classic Mega Man, but there's some really cool uh, new features in it where you can slow down time. Um, you can charge up your weapon. I mean, in, in other ways, more so than I mean, you've always been able to kind of charge your your Arm Buster more or the Mega Buster more. But now, like there, there's different ways that you can charge. I mean, this is the new features that they added in are so cool. Um, you get some history between, uh, you know, Dr. Light and Dr. Wily, uh, which, you know, you never thought you'd get more of that, but you do. Um, this is this is a phenomenal game. I mean, I don't know if I'm going to put it up for game of the year, but it's damn close. I'm shocked, you know. I, I'm playing it on PC. Uh, you know, I, I got it through Steam, of course. Unfor- I mean, I wish I could have gotten it through GOG.com, but uh, but I got it through Steam. And man, I mean, I broke out the do controller and I was going to town. I actually, from Hyperkin, they released a, uh, a Mega Man version of the X ninety one controller that I did pre I did order, but. I don't know. It it was supposed to come out on the second and then it got delayed. So whenever that comes out, but whatever, I'm playing it with the Duke and just a brilliant fucking game. If you want to have a great time, I mean, Capcom did it right. This is a legend return. Remember when Sonic Media came out and you're like, wow, this is how a Sonic Sonic game is supposed to be played. Um, This is Mega Man as it should be. Again, respectfully, because like when they included Mega Man in like the Marvel versus Cap, some of the later Marvel versus Capcom games and so on, uh, they treated Mega Man like a joke. And I was really pissed off about that. Um, this is not the case with Mega Man 11. He was treated with absolute respect. And it's a gorgeous game. It's beautiful. You got to try it out. So uh, just to kind of. Well, OK, so the one of the things I, I actually I don't think I got it. on. I didn't get it on release day. Here's why. Because I was thinking, I am like, okay, well, they announced, and we talked about this in recent uh, Sovereign Tech Prime episodes. You know, Nintendo is releasing Super Smash Brothers Ultimate for the Nintendo Switch, so okay, now there is a Smash Brothers game. All right, fine, I'll, I'll get the new Nintendo console because otherwise, I was more than happy with my three DS, which happens to have Super Smash Brothers, right? Um, but the new version's out. Okay, I'll finally get a Nintendo Switch. Then, you know, and so what I was or what I was thinking then was all right, you know, now I'll hold off on buying some games that are going to come out for switch that are also coming out for PC. I'll just buy them once and I'll get them on the switch. Cause I like having my dedicated machines anyway, not necessarily consoles, but since the switch is handheld, I really like that. Um, so I was like, all right, well I'll get all the Mega Man games for switch and I'll save my money and whatever. Um, but then like a couple days ago it was announced that, you know, and I, cause I had, I kind of had a pre-order on, one of the uh, Super Smash Brothers editions of the Nintendo Switch. But then it was announced that, or I think it was Wall Street Journal announced that apparently, or th- it's rumored that there's going to be a new version of the Switch in 2019. Now, I said this a couple of years ago. I said they're going to come out with an updated version that's going to have a lot of features, maybe that people were looking for, maybe a bigger hard drive in it, uh, do something with a screen and, and some other things. I mean, I said, I, I think I'm going to wait for that. And I was just about to buy the Switch, you know, with, with Super Smash Brothers coming out. But once that rumor came out, I was like, nah, you know, what? I'll wait for 2019. But I'm not going to wait for 2019 to fucking play Mega Man 11. So I bought Mega Man 11 for the PC. Maybe it'll be on sale at some point in 2019. I can get it for the Switch as well, because I like having it a little more portable. Um, but yeah, that, that, so just so you know, if you were looking to get a Switch, you might want to wait until the new version, if it's true, the new version coming out in 2019. But I think it's going to happen. Um, also, boy, they, they passed... They got uh, they filed Nintendo filed for patents for uh, what looks like a Game Boy phone case, but like that has buttons and everything. I don't know what that's going to end up being. Maybe that's our Game Boy Classic and it's going to interact with phones. That could be a thing. Could be interesting. Uh, I'd rather it be a dedicated device, but we'll see. So uh, that was also something that 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 came out there. Um, next week, of course, I'm really excited for this. This I have pre ordered. Um, is they are re releasing a remastered version of Luigi's Mansion, which was one of the launch titles. Maybe the be- next to- was Pikmin a launch title? Oh no, it wasn't. Okay, there's a couple games, Rogue Leader. There, there's a couple games that that were better than this as far as launch titles for the Nintendo GameCube back in the day. Um, but Luigi's Mansion was one of the better games that came out as a launch title uh, for the GameCube, and I love that game. And I am totally going to play the remaster. But on October 12th, they're re-releasing it for the, uh, for the Nintendo 3DS. And I love my 3DS, and I will totally be jumping on that. And I know a lot of people are pissed off that it's coming out for the 3DS and it's not coming out for Switch. Look, the 3DS is totally valid. In fact, to prove the point... This is one of the stories I had lined up to talk about uh, this week, and I think this is really cool. Um, This is actually from Nintendo Life, which is a site that I frequent often. Um, Report finds elementary school students in Japan use 3DS as their main music player. Uh, let me read a little bit of the story while the 3ds is most commonly used as a portable video game system one of its less utilized features is the device's ability to play music in Japan though school students apparently enjoy listening to music on their 3ds on a regular basis um, and effectively there was some research done on you know various school on students, on the student body in Japan and so on, uh, and said, linked to the fact that 66% of elementary school students own a 3DS, Uh, and Nintendo Soup points out, younger school students likely do not own mobile devices, which is therefore the reason why they are using their 3DS systems to play music, Um, so 66%, like, I mean, so many people own a 3DS in Japan, Um, you know, there's no reason to kill it anywhere else. You know, I think, I, again, I still think the 3DS is such a valid system. I get it. You love your Switch. I'm going to love my Switch when I finally get one. I know that. Okay, but I really do love my 3DS. Now, playing music on a 3DS is kind of a funny thing, right? Like, now, it does have a music player. It can play MP3s and, I think, a couple other formats. And I've messed with it, and it does it fairly well. The thing is, is you're limited to, I think, a, or you're artificially limited to a 32-gig micro SD card. In your Nintendo 3DS. There are hacks, shall we say? There are hacks to allow you to put in like a 64 gig um micro SD card or even a 128, I think it can do. Um because that is an artif that is completely artificial limitation. I don't know why it's there, but it's there. Um as to where like with the Switch they said, yeah, well, when two terabyte micro SD cards come out, go ahead, put them in. Which is the right way to go. So Yeah, and, like, I've messed with this, but, you know, you can only put so much music on these things. But then I suppose if you're in elementary school, you probably don't have the largest music collection on planet Earth anyway. Uh, Another disadvantage is, or what could be seen by some as a disadvantage, is that you don't have access to Bluetooth headphones, right? Because it has a 1-8th jack. Some people might see that as a good thing because, you know, they hate that their mobile phone doesn't have a 1-8th jack anymore. But your 3DS does. Um, I I think it's interesting. It's not, I mean, it works. Like, you can close the clamshell and whatever, and it still plays the music and so on. um, I find it interesting. I mean, it's elementary school kids, you know, kind of doing it. Um, I always, I don't know, there's a part of me that still fancies the idea of not consuming content through a smartphone, even though a smartphone, you know, with apps, you know, you have the audible app, you have pocket casts, you have whatever music app that you use and so on, obviously makes it so easy to be able to do that. I mean, like it, it's pretty much a no brainer, you know, or you can use an iPod or an iPad, I suppose. Like I get that, but there is, there is a certain romance. You know, to just I mean, this is a kind of a random thing, but there is a certain romance, I think, to using an older device that is uh, not dedicated, but like it'd be fun. Like, I'll admit, if I got in a car with somebody and they were using their 3DS plugged into their stereo system on their car, I would think that's pretty badass. You know, I know they're talking about elementary school kids here, but if I saw an adult doing that, I, I would think that that's actually pretty cool. So anyway, um, something I mentioned at the top of the show that I said we might get into a bit. There's not even necessarily a whole lot to say about this. We knew this was coming, um, that Google was working on their own gaming platform. uh, And they finally fully announced it. And it's called Project Stream. And it is literally streaming. I mean, you you need a pretty good Internet connection. But it is streaming games in a Chrome browser tab. And they demoed it with Assassin's Creed Odyssey, which is, you know, one of the... Uh, You know, certainly has the latest in graphics, I think you could say. Um, And it looked and worked fairly well. Uh, I was surprised. And this pretty much turns, honestly, this turns a lot of Chromebooks into gaming machines. Um, I'm curious what this is going to end up looking like, because you only needed a fast internet connection. The computer itself didn't need to have that much balls. Didn't need to have that much power. Uh, But that's the thing. I really don't want so much to get into streaming gaming, but
0: it does seem to be part of the future. We'll be back tomorrow. Time now for 90 Seconds on Sex with Dr. Paul. Here are some responses to the question on my sex survey asking women whether intercourse has felt better with certain partners. A 29-year-old woman says, I've had 12 different partners and each one is different. For me, some of the best sex I've had has been with someone I connect with on an emotional level as well as a physical level. The best sex is where the guy is willing to adapt and learn how I like to be touched and kissed not all girls like it hard and fast. If guys take the time to ask a couple of questions, the sex can be fabulous. A 26-year-old female says, I feel like kissing is a huge thing. The people who were the most amazing kissers were also the best lovers. A female age 36 says, I never really reached an orgasm with circumcised partners, but I sure have with the uncircumcised partner I have now. I orgasm almost every single time, and it feels great. A woman age 32 says it helps if the penis has the size and shape to hit the right spots. Another woman age 29 reports, this is my first ongoing relationship with a woman. I wouldn't say it's less satisfying, but it wouldn't be able to replace sex with a man. That's because I like being dominant when I'm with a woman and submissive when I'm with a man. For more, visit 90SecondsOnSex.com Wild Cod
1: It is time for Wildcard, where I can talk about whatever the hell I want to talk about, or anything can kind of come up. And this has definitely been a tech-heavy show, uh, not one where I've gotten into aspects of history or even really science, uh, as it were. And I'm not going to really buck that trend right now, um, because there was something kind of interesting that I think is worth talking about uh, that was announced this week that went with little fanfare. Uh, Not someone that's a tech giant anymore, but certainly had their day. Um, that being BlackBerry. Now, BlackBerry is still I mean, they're not really like QMX, you know, they're they're not they're not the company that they that they once were um, or not not QMX. <laughs> I meant RIM. They're they're one of their major pieces of software was QMX. Uh, anyway, BlackBerry, I mean, BlackBerry now is in many ways just a brand. Um, but, you know, BlackBerry's still doing things and they're they've really become concentrated on security software. Um, there are still BlackBerry phones. Of course, they're Android phones now. Actually, they're very good ones. Um, the BlackBerry Key 2, uh, including like they, they have they have an entire uh, like hardware strategy, a secure hardware strategy that other companies are starting to take advantage of. And like you're effectively getting phones now that may not be BlackBerry phones, but they're BlackBerry certified. And some of this stuff is pretty interesting that they're doing. And, you know, I think some people might be saying, oh, they're just grasping at straws. BlackBerry is behind the curve. They're living off of this, you know, they're living off this old legend of theirs or myth that somehow they were really secure phones and presidents used them and so on, blah, 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 blah. No, BlackBerry is actually doing real cutting edge security research. Okay. And they are implementing it into their stuff. I'm not saying that BlackBerry wouldn't hand, you know, information over to governments. Of course, they would. But regardless of that, I mean, as far as, you know, security research in general, they're starting to do some interesting things like their hardware strategy is I it's kind of brilliant what they're doing. Um, Like, I I mean, I'm very intrigued by it to the point that I'd almost buy a BlackBerry key Two, you know, just just for the, the, you know, the hardware security that they implemented with it. Uh, But regardless of that, it was announced just a couple days ago at at their event um, that they are getting into quantum security, because, I mean, certainly quantum computers are, you know, kind of all the rage right now and all the news about how they're, you know, you're getting public access to some, you know, D-Wave is allowing for public access to quantum computers and so on. Again, there's debates on just how much this is actually a quantum computer, and if you're just dealing in some kind of weird emulation environment, that's a whole other thing that I've talked about. Uh, actually, on Patreon Q and As, when people have asked about it, uh, I'm not. I am not completely sold on quantum computing being like a definite part of the future, but maybe it will be. So, anyway, uh, BlackBerry is really already trying, or they're trying to be ahead of the curve in coming up with security solutions for when, for if when quantum computers become a thing, because one of the major concerns with quantum computing is that it would easily be able to break through you know, a lot of our, our publicly cryptography and so on, and break through a lot of our cryptographic schemes. Uh, so that's, yeah, I mean, and, and it's a valid concern. Um, I think I've certainly done my own research on what that's going to end up looking like if it becomes a thing, but let me, let me read a little bit of the story here. Uh, quantum computing represents tremendous promise to completely, uh, or to completely alter technology as we've known it, allowing operations that weren't previously possible with traditional computing. The downside of these powerful machines is that they could be strong enough to break conventional cryptography schemes. Uh, today, BlackBerry announced again, this is a couple days ago BlackBerry announced a new quantum resistant code signing service to help battle that possibility. The service is meant to anticipate a problem that doesn't exist yet. Perhaps that's the uh, that's why BlackBerry hedged its bets in the announcement saying, quote, the new solution will allow software to be digitally signed using a scheme that will be hard to break with a quantum computer, end quote. Until we have fully functioning quantum computers capable of breaking current uh, encryption, we probably won't know for sure if this works. But give BlackBerry credit for getting ahead of the curve and trying to solve a problem that has concerned technologists as quantum computers begin to evolve. The solution, which will be available next month, is actually the product of a partnership between BlackBerry and I. Isara Corporation, a company whose mission is to build quantum-safe security solutions. Uh, BlackBerry is using Isara's cryptographic libraries to help sign and protect code as security evolves. Quote, by adding the quantum-resistant code-resistant code-signing server to our cybersecurity tools, we will be able to address a major security concern for industries that rely on assets that will be in use for a long time. If your product, whether it's a car or critical piece of infrastructure, needs to be functional 10 to 15 years from now, you need to be concerned about quantum computing attacks, um, says BlackBerry. While experts argue how long it could take to build a fully functioning quantum computer, most agree that it will take between 50 and 100 qubit computers uh, to begin realizing that vision. IBM released a 20 qubit computer last year and introduced a 50 qubit prototype. A qubit represents a single unit of qubit. Anyway, point being is that they're not exactly here yet. Um, But this is an interesting move on BlackBerry's part. uh, And I think that it's you know, I mean, this is something that people do, even if I don't know that it's ever going to like a true quantum computer is actually going to happen, which is the point that TechCrunch, the TechCrunch story I was reading from uh, was making that we don't really have true quantum computers yet. Uh, not Not like the real deal where they're really being able to take advantage of what quantum computing is theoretically able to do. Uh, Getting ready for this is a fine and dandy thing, and I think an important thing to do. And if you can create, you know, backwards compatible solutions, and BlackBerry is looking to, you know, have it be available across the board in enterprise, you know, all over IoT and so on. It's not necessarily, even though I could certainly see where if they were schlepping off BlackBerry Messenger to you and saying, hey, this is quantum, you know, this is encrypted against quantum uh, technologies. Yeah, I mean, you know, you're, you're... that, that's a I think that would be an interesting selling point that would get a lot of people going on it. Um, and in fact, starting now would really give BlackBerry the edge to say, you know, in five years or 10 years or even 20 years, because it might take that long. If when we actually get a quantum computer, if they say, hey, we've been we've been in the quantum security business for 20 years, you know, for, for you know, five years, 10 years, whatever the time frame is. It's a smart move on their part. And they can say and they can point at it. Hey, we announced this at our event. We've got this. Uh, What this is going to do is, is it adds on a signature onto your i mean as far as i understand it what i read up on it i need to read more of the papers on it but regardless the, the basic idea is is that your present encryption scheme they will add on a front layer which is a quantum signature that needs to be you know verified and that supposedly would be hard for a quantum computer to crack of course we don't have a quantum computer to even try that with so like techcrunch said we don't know if this would actually even work. But I do appreciate them looking ahead. And I mean, and they can do this because, like I mentioned, you know, with like QMX software and so on back when they were RIM, you know, they were dealing with software that was in things from airplanes to, you know, you name it. It was all over the place. So this is important to do. I'm glad that somebody's jumping on top of it. I'm glad that it's being looked into. Um, it's not going to add any security to something that you know, like it doesn't add anything if it's not against the quantum computer, like, this really is only worthwhile if quantum computers become a thing, and again, we don't even know if it'll work against it. Um, but to know that this research is being done and being done by companies like that, I mean, you could—I think—an argument could be made that this is a marketing ploy, and it, in many ways, it still is, whether it's real or not. That that BlackBerry is doing here, um, but you know, bringing some attention to this, I think, is a fine thing uh, because this has been a long conversation uh, amongst uh, cryptographers and security researchers. I mean, believe me, I've been in the meetings, and I mean, this goes. back back and forth back and forth back and forth you know people talk about well we can do lattice encryption and so on and that'll solve the quantum computer problem or at least it'll make it more difficult and you know getting into these ideas of where and this is where i hadn't really seen a whole lot of people getting interested in it was referencing okay how do we but how do we come up with backwards compatible solutions for so much expensive infrastructure that's out there right now that you know if 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 A malicious actor had a quantum computer and attacked that platform, you know, that it could be wildly detrimental on, like maybe even on a global level. We've got to come up with something that can solve that. You know, coming up with this effectively, you know, I'm going to call this, I don't, I haven't heard anybody say this, so I might be coining a term here, but I've done that before. It's a quantum condom. (laughs) Maybe I should title the episode that quantum condom, (laughs) but (laughs) Even though I don't think this is the most interesting story that we've talked about this week. Uh, But regardless, coming up with quantum condoms... Yeah, this needs to happen, and if BlackBerry is on top of it, great. And if they can implement it into their software solutions, yeah, BlackBerry could become very, very relevant again. Even though I, I still think that they're they're relevant in much of what they're doing, just a lot of people don't know about it. You know, don't know what they're really up to. But they're they're still out there, and they're still doing business, and uh, they're still coming up with solutions. And I appreciate that from them. So anyway, we'll be right back with some more sovereign tech. Woo. Hey, you heard about it at the top of the show. I have a whole new book out. Well, not whole new. If you signed up for the Sovereign Tech newsletter at zog.email, dot email, again, that's Z-O-G dot email, uh, you would have read some of these stories in an earlier form. But... This is the Sovereign Universe. You love the fictional aspects of Sovereign Tech, baby. This is your book, Sovereign Universe, Volume 1. You can find it on Amazon, and it's going to be in all other places very soon. But for right now, if you want to get on your Kindle, get the ebook version, you get it on Amazon. You just type in Sovereign Universe, or there's a link in the show notes for this episode, and you can get your hands on it. It's only $2.99. It's a bunch of short stories, some of which are exclusive to this book. They will only ever come out for this book. They will never come out on Patreon. patreon they will never come out on in the sovereign tech newsletter they will only be in this book and boy can i tell you the ladies love these stories okay a pure hotness you know i do erotic science fiction like no other you want to get on this sovereign universe you can go to zog.email to find the link for the book you can go to amazon and just type in sovereign universe s-o-v-r-y-n or you can find the link in the show notes check it out Thank you in advance. Woo, let's get back to the show. Go get it. Go get the book, Sovereign Universe, volume 1. It's fucking awesome. The
0: climax.
1: Ah, that's the kind of music you want to hear this time of night. Oh yeah, baby. <laughs> Uh anyway, it's time for the climax where I really get to talk about whatever the hell I want to talk about. Sorry if you heard the mic arm there uh, moving it. But, you know, when you hear that music, you got to lay back, relax, you know, ease the seat back, reach down. What, what's uh, <laughs> the classic Van Halen song? Reach down between my legs. Anyway, no. <laughs> um, yeah, so, anyway, this is where I get to talk about anything. Could be, honestly, could be a movie, TV show, comic books, a novel. I mean, who the hell knows? You know, it could really be anything. Um, though, admittedly, a lot of times I do save those kinds of talks and reviews uh, for specific Patreon episodes. In fact, one that I do... That I used to do on Sovereign Tech Prime episodes, but uh, is reviews of what I think is the best television show out there right now, and it's coming up on its last season, that being Voltron Legendary Defender on Netflix. Of course, what is a TV show today, right? Can you actually call a Netflix show a TV show? Yeah, that's a whole other thing. So anyway, Voltron Legendary Defender, uh, you know, we talked about it on Patreon quite a bit. I do a review pretty much every season along with some, some bonus stuff uh, like reviewing the comic book and whatever. I'm not going to do a review here. I just want to let listeners know that we did finally, just today actually, we did get a official release date for season eight. And I ended up being right about it. I said, I, I, said, I guarantee you they're going to have it come out in December of 2018 they're going to end off the year 2018 and they're going to end Legendary Defender and they're going to have it come out around the same time that the third Godzilla anime movie that Netflix is putting out there as well, uh, comes out to end off that trilogy. And that's exactly what's happening. And great, because I usually review both of them. Like the, the, the two, the, the Godzilla anime trilogy that they've had going on and the Voltron seasons in the past year, uh, have lined up as far as release to where I could review them both. And that's going to be happening. But yeah, uh, set your calendars, December 14th, 2018, last season of Voltron Legendary Defender. On Netflix, I can't wait. I, I I mean, I don't want the show to end, but also I love the show. I think it's the best thing running uh, right now. It's even better than honestly maybe Star Trek Discovery, which wow, that short trek came out, and we also got a season two trailer, and we got to see Spock. Ooh, I'll be talking about that on Patreon on the Star Trek update. Uh, that's going to be some uh, some interesting conversations to be had around that. Anyway, um, we have other things to talk about for the climax. Uh, this. This week, and what I want to talk about is another classic movie. I know recently we talked about Spaceballs, and actually I heard from some of you that you went back and watched Spaceballs because of my review, and I appreciate that. Um, I like to introduce people to the classics, maybe movies that some people forget, or you know, I have a lot of younger people in my audience, movies they'd never heard of, you know, that that were never a part of the game, and it's tough because a lot of streaming services today don't actually bother. Like Netflix was known for, okay, you want to watch a movie, you. You know, look into Netflix and maybe there it is. Now that's not so much the case, right? Now Netflix is more about its own content, which it certainly has fucking plenty of, um, than anything else. Same with a lot of the other streaming services. They're not so much about giving you classic movies or maybe forgotten movies or things like that, which 10 years ago, that is what they were about. Um, I mean, I understand the market forces around that, but I'm just saying that it's not that way anymore. So. I am here as your your nostalgia nerd, even though I'm much more than that. Uh, you know, to, to really remind you perhaps of some of the the classics or things that were just plain out forgotten. And classics, of course, can be can be a subjective thing um, at times. But this is a movie that uh, just the other day, just a couple of days ago, I had to watch, and it ended up actually being Stephanie and I watching it. Stephanie really, really kind of enjoyed it. Um, I think this is a hell of a film. Granted, I love what it's a live action film of a cartoon series from the 80s. The movie itself came out in 1987. I think the movie is brilliant. I think the movie is beautiful. I think for what the budget that it had and for what they were trying to do and how they were able to pull it off. I think the movie is a minor miracle um, that it is what it even is. And the movie I'm talking about is Masters of the Universe with Dolph Lundergan. And, of course, this is based off of the He-Man cartoon, and the He-Man cartoon was really just one multi-season advertisement for the He-Man toys, uh, and maybe some of the He-Man comics and so on, which the comics were also to, effectively, everything was to sell toys. It's a tough pill to swallow for people my age, and really, of all generations, or at least since, like, the 70s, for all generations to understand, or... (laughs) Yeah, since the 70s, since Star Wars pretty much, that just about any franchise that you can imagine, not all, Star Trek I don't think this was so for and for some others, but that for just about any franchise, certainly any Saturday morning cartoon that you can imagine, they were really all advertisements for you to just buy a bunch of merchandise, for you to buy a bunch of toys or whatever else. And that's true. Sometimes, fortunately, great writers would actually get into creating these 30-minute, 20-minute, 15-minute, whatever-minute or even some, I don't think anywhere ever an hour long, uh, but would create, would be the writers for these advertisements. And they would end up making great shows and great cartoons. And I certainly loved the shit out of He-Man growing up. I mean, I really, really did. Uh, not to say it's the greatest cartoon anymore, but boy, I'll tell you, that, re- that, that, that remake that Cartoon Network did in 2002 to 2004, that was great cartoons. Because at that point, you know, Cartoon Network was wanting a great cartoon. Because that's what they sell. They weren't trying to sell toys, even though there was a little bit of a toy line. But damn, that was good shit. Anyway, Masters of the Universe, I thought, was also a great film. I mean, the cartoon was so popular, of course, they figured they could get asses in seats at a theater. And that's what they tried for. And they they made a live-action movie as to where a lot of other cartoons like G.I. Joe and Transformers at the time would end up making actually uh, animated feature films. Both of which, actually, the Transformers, the movie in 85, and the G.I. Joe film were phenomenal movies, in my opinion. Uh, And arguably, I'd say, actually, both of them are better than Masters of the Universe, uh, the live-action movie. But again, they didn't do live-action. We wouldn't get a live-action G.I. Joe or Transformers movie uh, until the aughts. And, of course, the first Transformers movie was pretty good. Uh, The first G.I. Joe movie, Rise of Cobra, was fucking awesome. And I mean that it was fucking awesome sequel, not so much. And certainly the sequels for the Transformers, uh, the first Transformers live action film, uh, they just got progressively worse. Uh, I mean, they're just, they're, they are some of the worst movies ever made in history, uh, frankly, even though the first one was pretty good. So uh, thank you, Megan Fox. But anyway, so Masters of the Universe, the film, um, a Dolph Lundgren vehicle, certainly. And Dolph Ludnergan at this time was white hot. I mean, just white hot. Uh, he was coming off of, you know, Rocky four as the Russian from, uh, was, was that 85 when Rocky four came out? Anyway, it was very close to the release of this film. You had red scorpion, you know, Dolph Lundgren, they were trying to turn him into a bona fide action star, get him fitted in with Schwarzenegger and even Chuck Norris at that time. Uh, or, you know, Van Damme, which Van Damme would ended up, end up becoming like, you know, just one of the biggest stars in Hollywood. Um, not long after this, but Lundrigan, even though he would be a name that could sell because of his role in Rocky IV as Ivan Drago, uh, it wouldn't you know, he would never really like reach those heights, but he was a hell of a he man. Uh, I mean, he really, really did a hell of a job as He-Man in this 87 film, um, the, directed by Gary Goddard, who has done tremendous work. And actually, if you get the Blu-ray of Masters of the Universe, which I happen to have, uh, there is an entire director's commentary with Gary Goddard. And you find out all kinds of fascinating things um, about this movie. The thing I think that stands out, this movie's actually, ironically, this movie is better now than it was in 87 and even in 87 i think it was all right especially for what they were trying to do again this was plagued with production problems there were the budget wasn't exactly there in fact i think they spent pretty much the entire budget seemed to have been spent on the throne room of castle grayskull and that's fine with me because if you watch this movie and you look at you look at castle grayskull and you know sorceress is there and all of these troops that um Uh, You know that uh, that Skeletor has And evil Lynn being played by Meg Foster Holy shit she's sexy as hell Uh, All of that like it is Gorgeous no CGI It is absolutely Gorgeous the practical effects and that throne Room I mean it's one of the best sets in my Opinion it's one of the best sets in movie History bar none It is stunning. So much of the design, even a lot of like the Skeletor's forces and all that. Super well done. That's easily where all the money went and into paying for, for, you know, probably at the time Dolph Lundgren could fetch a bit of a price. Um, But yeah, it had a budget of 22 million, which is kind of high for the time, but not crazy. You know, that's not crazy money. Like Dune, I think, had way more than that, you know. But anyway, I mean, they they did what they could with it. And there's a reason this movie gets kind of weird. It doesn't follow the cartoon very well. If at all. And I mean, Man at Arms is in it. Tila is in it. And they're both very serviceable. There's The movie tries to be a little funnier than it actually ends up being. You have the character of Gwildor, right, who's kind of an orco and kind of not, uh, you know, so it doesn't really follow the cartoon so much. And a lot of the plot takes place on Earth, right, because Gwildor creates this key that can transport you anywhere at any time. And. So eventually, you know, they accidentally trying to get away from Skeletor, they end up on Earth. And, of course, this saves them a ton of money and budget because they end up in 1987 Earth. And so you can just put your set pieces there and, you know, use any street in America, frankly, and. Um, but it works. Like, I mean, you get it once you understand that the reason they, they did the storyline that way is because they were running into budgetary problems. It's okay. Like, I I think it becomes acceptable at that point. Um, and you can kind of ignore it and you let it be what it is, um, because it's still a lot of fun. And like I said, Lundrigan does a hell of a job as he man. He doesn't say a whole lot, which is kind of a loss, but you know, he has his accent at the time and whatever. Uh, but, you know, you have other characters like the guy playing man at arms does a good job. Tila does a pretty good job. Gwildor is funny. Um, and you have a very young Courtney Cox in this uh, well before Friends. Um, she does a fine job. And then you have I mean Meg Foster's great as Evil Lynn. Uh, Franklin Gella as, as Skeletor, he is brilliant. I mean, he's bringing Shakespearean action to this. I'm not kidding. Uh, you know, you have so many people that even though all Lundrigan really did need was the look because everybody else is picking up the rest of the film. You also have a very young Robert Duncan McNeil in this that people forget about. He doesn't even really get credited. Uh, but I mean, he's credited, but he's not like credited and he's a major, uh, character, uh, in, in the movie and Robert Duncan McNeil of course would end up in Star Trek Voyager playing Lieutenant Tom Paris. And, uh, I mean, I, I just and there's so many like interesting little tidbits in this movie. I think there's a lot of occultism, like real occultism going on in this film that they don't necessarily like put on display. Uh, You know, the action's pretty good. I mean, it's standard fair blasters and there's some swords there, but it's a nice mixture that you're not used to. And all the effects are practical effects, you know, and so that alone gives it a certain legitimacy that I think now has been lost in our you know, a deluge of CGI and you notice it. And I think that's part of what makes the movie better today than when it, than when it came out in 87, because it was a bit of a flop. It wasn't really that big of a deal, even though they were planning. I mean, it's become, you know, what you call a cult film today, but they were because I think it only did 17 million against its $22 million budget, but they were planning on there being a sequel because, at the there is a this is in 87 this is kind of rare to have a post credit scene there is a post credit scene in this where it's um skeletor kind of coming out of nowhere you know you think skeletor has gone but he you know spoiler alerts but he comes up and he says i'll be back and this is before terminator 2 uh, <laughs> so uh so they were they were looking for that but i mean it just didn't do the money you know really to make it happen but it's a shame but again i think it's better today partly because it looks so real and it's so visceral compared to movies today. And it's so epic, even though, yeah, a lot of it's on Earth. But the moments when it's on Eternia, on the planet Eternia, and you're in Castle Greyskull, it just feels like this huge, powerful film. And Franklin Gullett, you know, as Skeletor, he gives it he, a lot of power. You know, I mean, and, and no pun intended, you know, he meant I have the power, you know, and all that crap. Right. I mean, which certainly Lundrigan gets that line off a couple times, you know, uh, but like the the speeches that Skeletor gives, like there's a speech just before he turns into he becomes his final form. <laughs> you know, and he becomes like gold Skeletor. You, you got to see it to understand what I'm talking about. But the speech he gives before he does that is badass. It is so powerful. Um Yeah, there's there's a lot of great things that go on in this film. And again, just even though you can tell again, you can tell the lower budget because anytime there's a shot on Eternia outside of Castle Grayskull, you only ever see at most like 15, 20 people you know, you do not see a very broadcast and you don't see, you don't see a lot of buildings. I mean, Eternia just looks like kind of a desert planet or something. Not that that's too far off from what the cartoon showed off. The cartoon didn't necessarily have like bustling cities or anything like that in it either. Not, I mean, at certain points but overall when they would show, obviously to save money on animation as well, you would just see more or less an exotic looking planet or, you know, exotic fauna and whatever, but you wouldn't see a whole ton of buildings or people or anything like that. So it wasn't too out of place as far as that goes, but this is certainly something to enjoy more with just thinking of He-Man in the abstract and not looking for something that has fidelity to the cartoon series, because nothing really did anyway, not even the toys. Frankly, the toys were based more off the comic books than anything, uh, which would be a similar case in many ways to, well, G.I. Joe wasn't exactly like that, but that's neither here nor there. Um, You know, so Gary Goddard does a great job of directing. The acting in this is either mediocre or it's great. Like Meg Foster, Franklin Gullah, you know, I mean, they do as the evil, as the villains in this, they do a bang up job. I mean, just like phenomenal acting like this is seriously like they're totally believable in what they're delivering. Um, Courtney Cox and Robert Duncan McNeil, they're playing kind of teenagers and, and it works, you know, uh, like I said, Lundergan, he's doing what he does and he looks great, you know, and he pulls it off. Um, the action sequences, particularly with the sword fights, can come off a little cheap, uh, but. Yeah, you know, for what it is, it's okay. You know, like it's, it's not, it's not terrible. So it, it overall, it works. The, maybe the biggest shining star though, in this movie, and that really sells a lot of what's going on is one of my favorite things to talk about with any movie. And that's the soundtrack, the score. Okay. The instrumental score in this, in this movie, it's done. It's in fact, it's one of the later scores by this gentleman, uh, the legendary Bill Conti, Bill Conti, Best known for a lot of things, but best known probably for Rocky. Like, you know, he did the gonna fly now theme. Like that's that's him. And he does I mean, he also did North and South, which has a very sweeping score. Um, you know, he's done a lot of a lot of really big movies and or a lot of a lot of epic stuff with his music. And I think he completely delivers the Masters of the Universe. There's a beautiful two disc limited edition that came out a few years ago of it, and it is totally worth having. Um this is one of his best scores. And this is one of the best movie scores, I think, of all time. Um, it's it's sweepingly epic. Uh, and it, it has, I mean, it almost feels, in fact, a lot of this movie does kind of feel like Superman, like the 70, uh, 78 Superman. Um, the score almost feels like John Williams' uh, 78 Superman score. Uh, but it has its own flair as well. It has certainly, you know, Bill Conti can be original as he wants. And, you know, no one's going to argue with Bill Conti. Uh so while it feels kind of like Superman it's just in the abstract it feels that way it's its own it's its own uh uh you know tone tune and i think it's it's epic and i think it's totally badass. Uh this is a movie really worth revisiting. Again, maybe not the best plot on planet Earth. But if you know about he, if you know what He-Man is and if you want to appreciate some gorgeous sets, gorgeous production um I mean, the the budget wasn't opulent, but the movie at, at points is wildly opulent. This is a movie for you to catch. Um, and I think that there is a lot of a lot of the little things said within it, I think, are very interesting. Like there's some great quotes within it, like music is the universe and a lot of the things that Skeletor says. Uh, I mean, there's there's a lot of really epic moments in this and a lot of really beautiful things that are a part of it. So I, I can't recommend this movie enough. Um, Again, you're not going to get like the greatest story on planet Earth, but the, you know, the sum is greater than its parts, right? Or, you know, the the whole is greater than the parts. And... This is one of those cases, and I just think it's totally worth watching, and if you want to get the Blu-ray, get the Blu-ray. It doesn't have a whole ton of special features on it, but it's, it's a beautiful, beautiful presentation, um, and, and I, I really, again, if you've, if you've never seen this movie, give it a shot. I mean, you might you might just laugh at it, but I think there's some really unique and beautiful winning moments to it. So, anyway, that's it for this week's Sovereign Tech Masters of the Universe 1987. you got to hit it, uh, especially if you've never seen another Lundgren movie besides, <laughs> besides Rocky IV. The other one to check out, I really like red scorpion i think red scorpion is a great action flick uh, and that was another Lundgren vehicle so go for that but anyway that's it for this week sovereign tech of course if you want to support the show go to patreon.com slash sovereign tech get your hookup and believe me you won't be disappointed with the value you get there uh, and of course if you want to sign up for the sovereign tech newsletter new issues coming out uh zog.email zog.email that's the website for it all right that's it for this week i will see all of you woo, on the other side oh boy wait till you hear next week's episode
0: you just experienced Sovereign Tech. Go to sovereigntech.com. That's S O V R Y N tech.com and connect with us there. Find links from today's show and catch our podcast feed. Sovereign Tech is copy heart. Copying art is an act of love and love is not subject to law. So please share the show however you like. Welcome to the evolution.